All right, welcome back, everybody. This is only episode two. My apologies that it took so long to get out. I've been uh, under the weather, above the weather, over the weather, all that kind of stuff. And then uh, we got Sean in here, and then things got busy with everything else going on, and I just didn't have time. Plus, uh, you'll probably notice right away that the sound on this episode isn't exactly sparkling. I am still learning all this equipment. I grabbed some new stuff here. I got a Focusrite Scarlet 1818 from the nice folks at Ron McQuaid, which I have no idea how to use. And yes, I did have one of my favorite sound engineers, people on earth, in with me having a discussion today, but I really didn't want to bug him too much about all that. He was under some time constraints as he was getting ready for a show that evening. Um, so one of the microphones kind of was a little half out. And anyways, I, I did what I could to try and make this all sound decent. At least you can hear his stories as clear as you can. Um, and I um, and I hopefully you enjoy this as much as I enjoyed hanging out with my brother here. Um, I got to say, I mean, the stories that, that Sean shares are, are literally just a little ice chip on an iceberg of a career and a lifetime that he spent making music, uh, playing guitar all over most of the country, as he'll tell you, as well as many other gigs and jobs and people he's crossed paths with. And I mean, it's going to take four more episodes to figure out everything Sean knows, at least, you know, at least when it comes to country music, let alone everything else. So. Anyways, this is our uh, second episode. I hope you enjoyed as much as I enjoyed speaking with him. Please welcome Mr. Sean Borton. All right, check one, two, 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 one, two. Holy macro, we're going to go. I am no engineer. Working. Hello, hello. Yep. There we go. Holy crap, it finally worked. <laughs> It worked. Every now and then. <coughs> Blind squirrel finds a nut. What's happening, Sean? Not much. We just Not saw much. each other this week, so it's like, this is probably going to be a lot easier when I don't hang out with the person that I'm interviewing as regularly as I hang out with you. <laughs> um, thank you for being here. No problem. Anytime. Yeah, man. I mean, this is going to be, um, I'd like to say it's a rehash of all the awesome stuff you've told me over the past years of us playing together, but I don't know, because... We're going to go like right to the beginning, and I want to find out everything. I want to find okay. out how you make a Sean <laughs> Borden, because if we ever get the chance to make another one, we probably should. Um, most folks just think you're just another Winnipeg guitar player, the guys who don't know you that well. The local younger generation, right? They just yeah. think, oh, he's that Foster Martin guy or whatever, right? Or now the Sean Taylor guy. Um but you were born in Dryden, I want to say? I was born in Dryden, yes. Cool. That was, I mean, you don't have to give me an exact year, but what are we talking here? It was here? the mid-60s. Mid-60s, okay. I was born. Fair enough, all right. So you are born in mid-60s in Dryden. How long did you live in Dryden? Uh, until I was about five. Okay, so that explains it. Because, like, yeah. as far as I've ever thought, you're a Thunder Bay kid. All of my school years were in Thunder Bay. Right, so all the important formative... Yeah musical experiences, all that stuff that makes a player really what a player is, is Thunder Bay based, right? Exactly. And so coming up, we're talking 70s, all that, um, Thunder Bay would have been kind of a hot spot for music in Canada. It was. Uh, a lot of people might not think of it as such, but of course, Paul Schaefer comes out of Thunder Bay. Yeah, which is bananas. And that was the era that came out in the early to mid-70s. Man, talk about like a who knew it, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, obviously, everybody from Thunder <laughs> Bay would have known. Yeah. But like that's a giant name in international music. 
It is. And uh, what happens is when, when you have somebody like that, the music scene flourishes in the local area. Of course. So, I mean, of course, I was still too young through the 70s to be able to play. Right. I, I, was, I was starting to learn how to play in the late 70s. Okay. But the music scene kept going. So when I started to play in the, in the clubs, which was the very early 80s, mm-hmm. um, it, there was you know, 15 clubs to play. There oh. was a ton of venues. There right. were bands on every corner. Like Winnipeg. <laughs> every, every junior high had, had two or three bands in it. Oh, cool. Every, every high school had eight or ten bands. Right. So there was all kinds of stuff going on all the time. So early, I mean, we're talking, I mean, Thunder Bay, I've also found there was also a tremendous amount of retired musicians that ended up in Thunder Bay later in my years of going to Thunder Bay, which is very cool. And we'll, we can get to that at some point. But obviously it's been a bit of a, a haven for, for musicians for a long time probably until most of the industry left town, I would guess, because it seems to be quiet now. Like, we don't get out there at all, you know, hardly enough or yes. whatever. So I, I regret. I haven't been there in over 10 years. Oh, no kidding. Uh, eh? Which I do regret. I, I've got to get back and just see some friends. Lots of friends there still. I no longer have family in Thunder Bay. That's why I'm not going back as mm-hmm. often or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, but, yeah, I've, I've got to get back there. And I don't know much about that music scene anymore. Yeah. So I don't know if, if it's alive. I don't know if it's completely gone or if it's somewhere in between. Right. Even when I talk to people, they're all older, so they're not part of that younger yeah, scene anymore. It's it. always go get them. So I don't know the inside scoop of it all. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. So we're talking early 80s. You're coming out of kind of the formative, like high school, hitting the bars, in the clubs and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like when you start, when when Sean Borden first picks up the guitar, guitar was your first instrument? Yes. And I mean, now you play a myriad of them, but mostly stringed instruments for the most part, eh? Exactly. So you, you pick up your guitar, and what's what's the impetus to that? Is it just like your parents, like, you have to take music lessons, or you just fell in love with it? Or Not at all. Okay. Actually, if we step back, my, my father was a musician. Right. So he, he was working the rooms in Thunder Bay and, and doing oh. a full-time job right. through the 70s. Now, I, I was at home. I didn't right. see him that often. Uh, yeah in the morning. I don't know what that's like. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and so on. So I never got to see him much. And yeah. uh, I mean, eventually that did lead, lead to the breakup of my parents. Yeah. But, but at the same time, uh, the, I'm not, that's nothing. It, we, we, everybody got along oh, uh, nice. in the yeah. end. So it was all good. But uh, yeah, so essentially there was always a guitar in the house. I just didn't know how to play it. But even when, after they had broke up, there was always guitars in the house. So eventually, you know, let me be honest, when I was in junior high, going through grade seven, and couldn't get a date, I looked at that guitar and thought, there's my answer. And you are preaching to the choir. (laughs) 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 It was kind of the same thing for me. Like, my my dad was a guitar player, and there's always guitars in the house. And they got me a guitar when I was young, and I stared at it for years. Until I was probably, you know, grade seven, and like... I remember being at my dad's and finding the guitar chord finder and being like, hmm, <laughs> I bet I could figure out a couple chords because I was playing piano enough to like be like, I could figure this out. Yeah. He lent me the cor- chord finder and now here we are. But that's interesting. Okay, so your dad was a guitar player. What kind of just anything they would play in the bars back in the 70s or did he have like a certain genre that he stuck to? Were you a country player? It, it, it was middle of the road. Whatever okay. middle of the road was back in, in that, that time frame. Right. Um, but back then, I, uh, he always talks about the standing gigs. Like, he would do a room for six months. 
No kidding. And then the band would pack up and go to another room for six months. So they'd play with Jolly Roger for six months, and they'd go to the Lotus Inn, and then they'd oh. head to the Crippled Crow or something. Almost like dinner band type stuff. Almost, but it was nightclub. It, right. it, was, it was your typical nine-to-one shows. Wow. On one hand, I'm like, oh, that would kind of be interesting because you'd be comfortable and it'd be like going to work every night. On the other hand, I feel like it would also probably crush your soul. It probably would. Yeah. Like I'd playing the same room over and over yeah. and over six months. <laughs> oh, man. Perfect for somebody that never wants to travel. True enough. Yeah. If you yeah. just want a gig and you're just a player, you wants a gig. I mean, that's not a bad thing yeah. at all. That would be pretty cool. That's interesting. So then you're junior high, you're picking up a guitar, you're starting to pick around. Are you like me and you're just playing anything that's easy enough to learn? Or was there like a genre that you loved the most well, when you were young? In today's world, we just call it. Canadian classic rock. Back then, it was all new. Of course. So I grew up listening to, uh, I would say, the, the ones I listened to most would have been Trooper, mm. Prism, Harlequin. Oh, nice, yeah. Streetheart, groups like that. So I yeah. just listened to all that stuff. And, nice. And uh, I just practiced it day in and day out. Oh, yeah, nice. And, and, and that was all big back in Thunder Bay with all the junior high bands, all the high school bands okay you know the winnipeg scene was very that's what everybody was learning so everybody's learning the next pump song or the next oh uh, uh, harlequin tune right. uh, because those bands would always come play the yeah because it's a bay. logical stop no yeah. matter which way you're going if they're going to toronto you're going to stop in thunder bay right or, yeah. and vice versa right that just makes yeah. a ton of sense cool so the pumps and everything that's kind of the kind of era i kind of assumed that you kind of grew up in yeah Stuff. Though I will say, when I mentioned that Angie was kind of into punk, your eyes got pretty excited. Oh, yes. Like, really? Yeah, like it's a very different punk serious. for you. But it's a different punk. But I, yeah. you, the, the look on your face was like, really? Yeah. <laughs> so like early 80s, you delved into that kind of stuff? or? Yeah. Uh, I guess it would have been about 1981 or so. Mm -hmm. um, I think I was between grade 10 and grade 11. And I... There was an ad in a music store that a band was looking for a guitar player and a drummer. And my best friend at the time happened to be a drummer, and we had always played in bands. So it was nice. like a, a natural. Oddly convenient. We joined up. But they were, uh, I would, uh, it's interesting because they weren't really punk, mm -hmm. but they were very far ahead of their time. Mm -hmm. So if you think back to, to 1982, 1981, 1982, they were playing, like U2 was hot off the shelf. Oh, okay. So and the, I like will raw was YouTube. a brand new song that right. nobody had ever heard. Oh. Rock, rock This Town from, from the Stray Cats. Brand new song that nobody had ever heard. Oh, cool. Generation X, which of course was Billy Idol. Yeah, uh, Dancing that's with awesome. Myself, stuff like that. So it was all that type of material. Oh, cool. And and of course, in in the Canadian world, Teenage Head ruled that, oh, really? that yeah, yeah. world. That's cool. And, and that's sort of what we modeled after okay. as a young man. That's cool. And just so now you're in you're in high school, so you're not playing the clubs. I would oh, guess. Oh sure, <laughs> sure we are. Yeah. <laughs> sure, of grade, course we are. Yeah, we would. <laughs> all through grade eleven. Yeah, okay. The encounter and and uh, all of the landmark and, and okay. all the different rooms in Thunder Bay. We were playing in Brown Street Station down in Westport. Now this is so like when you're playing those clubs, is it like playing clubs that I'm familiar with, where they were like, all right, yeah, you're gonna have to play Brown Eyed Girl. Yeah. Okay, so y y while you are modeling yourself after these punk bands, you've got this like. Okay, we got to learn all the standards. And we know. didn't. And you didn't. <laughs> and we didn't. We, we still worked every weekend. Nice. It was we just still worked every single weekend. Uh, 
playing what you wanted. Playing what we wanted. Oh, to that's do. awesome. It didn't. It was a short-lived band. Didn't sure. didn't quite make a year. Okay. But uh, we got to do that. But one other thing we did was when it was starting, we reached out to a couple of people to see if they wanted to manage us. Oh. Okay, because we were young and didn't know what we were doing at all. Fair enough. So all those rooms opened up after we found the manager. That tracks. And what we ended up with was, at the time, there was a company called Records on Wheels. Okay. Uh, which was a small, independent, well, not independent, it was a chain of record stores, but not nearly as big as, as the, the big Later big on, chains yeah, the, yeah, the big stuff. And yeah. uh, anyway, the, the, the owner of the Records on Wheels, a fellow named Phil Bayless, was... Uh, instrumental in all the success of that band because he he just got us every show and the university shows were the best oh so i can imagine we we got to open for goose set we got to open for teenage head oh no kidding we got to open for harlequin we got to open for all these bands and here i am in grade 11 <laughs> com coming in the next day wipe, <laughs> wiping my eyes trying to be awake and, yeah. and lots of times i never made it to the home oh room the next gosh. day that's crazy yeah so wow yeah, you never think of that stuff. Well, that's cool. So there's a pretty decent, heavy amount of success right out the gate with that band. But you say it lasted a year, as yes. as they tend to do with a bunch of young dudes in a band, right? <laughs> Things don't always pan out. Yeah. Fair enough. Some guy finds a girlfriend who wants to live in Toronto or something. It's all over. But um, so how does, I mean, do you just, I know when we have Miles on, he said like, yeah, there's bands and you pop around from band to band to band that kind of where it led to you for you or did you stick with another band after that after that broke up we tried a resurrection of the band and that was even shorter lived oh, two yeah. or three months oh okay uh didn't work and then i i played in a couple of cover bands yeah so i mean I, i've never been against the cover no. music thing i i, I love it i <laughs> i don't mind gig to gig. what everybody wants to hear yeah. that that's good stuff um so I did that a bit. Of course, I was just finishing up my high school, uh, so on and so forth, and, and traveling northwestern Ontario with these bands okay. uh, on weekends and things like All that. All the usual towns, Dryden. Oh, yeah, Dryden, Atacopan, okay. Red Rock, Nipigon. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Geraldton. okay. So all of those places. So started doing that, and, uh, yeah, then the call came that changed my life forever. And you're not interested. So. No, that's fine. We'll just end it here. <laughs> All right, so what changed your life forever, Sean Borden? Yeah, that was, uh, well, let me step back a bit. Yeah, yeah. With that, with that other group I was in, and, and the name of the band was Aladdin the Sane, which was modeled, it was a David Bowie album. Oh, cool. So that's what the name of the band was. Makes sense. That one that had some success. Well, the drummer that was my best friend that came into that band, mm -hmm. um, he left the band halfway into its its term sure and he went on the road to join a country band and we all laughed at him fair enough that's and he we're talking off. like 85 83 uh, no he was gone in 83 82 okay. 83 he okay. was gone so still early for country music to be a thing yes like exactly. before the pop obviously before the big boom yeah so okay. in in uh, it would have been early 84 so i'm yeah like february of 84 uh, the guitar player was leaving the band he was playing with, a, a fellow named David Thompson, mm -hmm. it was the singer. And the guitar player was leaving, and the door opened for me to go audition. Okay. And I went and auditioned, and I got hired for the job, and I was 18 years old at the time. Boom. And the next three years of my life were 48 weeks a year on the road, 
plane every single night except for the Sundays that we would drive to a new town. Okay, <laughs> you know that's I think that's important when we when we talk about your career as it goes because that kind of you can't replace that kind of stage time. You can't replace those hours with a guitar in your hand in front of people. Exactly. Um, so you're talking three years straight. Now, how does for lack of a better term, a punk kid out of high school playing in cover bands audition successfully for a country band? That's the question <laughs> I want to know. Because where were you like, oh, I'm just going to go woodshed all this, I don't know, Conway Twitty or whatever, I, you know, yeah. uh, reference-wise. But, like, how does that, or did you just walk in and say, yeah, I can learn your stuff, it's fine? Uh, no, it, uh, it certainly was a, was a tough audition. Yeah, okay, okay. So that makes sense. What happened was uh, Bob, my, my, my drummer friend, introduced me to Dave mm -hmm. and said, Sean's interested. And they said, okay, well, in 10 days or whatever, you're, we're playing this room. And uh, that room happened to be a place called the Adamac, not the nicest place in Thunder Bay. But he says, uh, come down and audition for the band. He said, I want you to learn two songs off of my album because Dave was a recording act. Right. And, and a quite successful recording act. And uh, he said, I want you to learn two of my songs. And he says, I want to see how well you do them. So those two songs, I absolutely worked on until I couldn't play them wrong. Fair enough. Uh, the pedal that steel the solo on the guitar, everything I could do with that song, I okay. would do. Yeah. So uh, when, when he called me up to the stage, I went up and, and we played those two songs. He looked at me and he says, you got the gig, <laughs> if you want it. Right on. And then he said, stick around, stay with us up here for the rest of the set. <laughs> and that's when I panicked because I had no idea how to follow along with anybody. I didn't know what else to learn. Okay, yeah, cause, and, you've been, <laughs> and you've been rehearsed for so long, like you're playing what you know. That's like me. If I get thrown to the yeah. wolves like that, I'm in trouble because I've never... There's no jam in me. You know what I mean? <laughs> There's yeah. no, I don't have that skill set. So I, I, yeah, I certainly didn't back then. Cool. But I, I didn't lose the job. The yeah, you didn't play yourself out it's of the gig is that's what you're saying. Right. <laughs> that's good enough. Though. That's right. Cool. Yeah. Okay. And then hit the road. About two weeks later, we hit the road. And by okay. then, I had had enough live recordings and watched a band enough that I stepped right in and knew what they were doing. This is interesting because it gives me a different uh, perspective of you and your musical tastes and how you got to where you are now because it almost sounds a little uh, reminiscent of our good friend James Clausen because he didn't yep. come to us with a lot of country music knowledge, right? Like, I know you and Greg and myself and everybody's been kind of like feeding him things like, oh, you should listen to this album and then obviously he just latched onto it like a fish to water and found his place, right? But like, did you did you go to school on it, for lack of a better term, or was it like I'm just going to play this gig and I'm going to learn as much as I can, and then you just fall in love with it later? Um, the initial, I would say, the initial six months or so was really just along for the ride. Yeah, it was. There was so much new things, and 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 Dave was just he was big enough that he'd have some wonderful shows. So we'd do an Opry North recording. Oh, cool. Uh, and things like that, or we'd yeah. go to the Country Music Week, and, and oh wow, we just had a great time, and and we're we're involved in the scene. Mm -hmm. So I was just along for the ride for at least six months, maybe even closer to a year. Okay. Then the next year, it uh, 
I really fell in love with what we were doing. Nice. And and uh, Ricky Skaggs, Highways and Heartaches. That'll change anybody's opinion. Yeah, <laughs> so I started listening to, to Ray Flack on those right. albums, Highway 40 Blues and One Way Rider, mm-hmm. and from that point on, I was completely hooked. I mean, how could you not be, right? Yeah. I mean, I know you've you've had us listen to that one on the road sometimes. I mean, my God, what an album. Yeah. What an album. But playing every single player on that record is responsible for what is a brilliant music making. Like, it's, it's a lot of fun. No wonder you fell in love with it. Was that... That must have come out around then, right? It was out about a year earlier. Yeah, was, okay. Uh, I, I, we were already doing Heartbroken in the show. Cool. So it was already out for that oh whole yeah, year that prior. Um, but then they, Dave said, uh, we want to do Highway 40 Blues. <laughs> and that was when it really kicked in how Crap. good this stuff was. <laughs> yeah. And how difficult it was. That's awesome. So that's where you start digging into... I mean, I guess what... That kind of guitar playing on that record is was relatively new for country, not new, but like not not mainstream country music, really. You know what I mean? Like you, you're talking about an era of Dan Seals, early George Strait. You know, there wasn't a lot of chicken picking. There wasn't a lot of the Brent Mason style guitar mm-hmm. playing yet. Even though I know Brent Mason probably started showing up on records in the. 80s, but it would have been like Randy Travis and stuff right. where you wouldn't recognize him at all. You wouldn't yeah. know he was on that record. He wasn't doing chicken picking. Yeah, you didn't have that like signature Brent Mason things, but you can almost hear it in the Ricky Skaggs album start. You know what I mean? It's interesting that it for, for that style of guitar playing, it took two British guys <laughs> to bring it to North America. <laughs> and that was Ray Flack yeah. and Albert Lee. And Albert Lee, yeah. And Albert, Albert, Albert Lee. Lee was with uh, Emmy Lou Harris in the, in the late seventies and into the early eighties. Right. So he was doing some chicken picking stuff with her luxury liner and, and right. stuff like that. And then Ray Flack with Ricky Skaggs, and that's where Brent Mason took it to a whole new level w- with all the late eighties and sure. early nineties material. Sure, of course. But you're right. Like Albert Lee, especially, you can hear that through the seventies. Those guys are also probably responsible for the only, in my opinion, decent guitar tones of the 80s on country records. I know we've <laughs> yeah. joked about it at length, yeah. but like, <laughs> holy crap, was there some bad guitar tone. Great playing, but bad guitar tone. Yeah. <laughs> like, just atrocious. Yeah. Like, But like, you can imagine in a world of Eric Clapton's and Jimi Hendrix's and all these things where Albert Lee comes out of that, like, like the power of those guys and their sound. And then he just applies it basically like, oh yeah, we're just going to play everything loud fast and well and good tone and yeah. everything it's going to sound amazing and you're all going to love it dire straits and all those bands still great sounding right why country music couldn't find those guitar tones i don't know yeah but it is weird <laughs> it yeah, is kind of weird i uh well I've, to me it's that uh and i don't mean this in a negative but nashville is a cookie cutter assembly line yeah once it finds something it likes it's going to do that for the next five to ten years, even when it's not great. Yeah. Or it doesn't have a lot of substance. And, Does and then somebody cuts through and yeah, changes that. Yeah, and changes everything. Does that go... See, I don't have... Uh, not being around in the 60s and 70s and stuff, like with that country music that we associate with those times, the Merle Haggers, the George Joneses, all these things, those guys obviously changed country music when yeah. they were... They were the change. But were there copycats of those guys who just... Like, we now have copycats of great artists that 
are just like, oh, this is like wish.com version of something, right? Like, yeah, it's, I, I look back and, and I think those guys all drove each other and they all sound, sounded different. Yeah. So you, you, you might have George Jones and Merle Haggard. They, two people can't sound any different from each other, but they're distinctly country. Yeah. And then Waylon. Right. comes in and, and and it's completely different and it's totally different and then along comes Billy yeah which Where is like that come what from? Yeah. <laughs> yeah so they've always they've been there and they drive each other and I guess that w- some of them became what was known as the outlaws of course because they changed what was happening in Nashville when Nashville didn't want them yeah isn't that the truth it is interesting I, I I'd be interested to know when the commercialization of Nashville country music became a big deal like when that cookie cutter <laughs> rotational thing started happening. You're, you're not familiar with that story? No, Chet no. Chet Atkins. Oh, interesting. Chet, that Chet makes Atkins sense. went to RCA. Uh, I, th- I think it was RCA that he went to. Right, because that was the Chet Atkins studio, right? Yeah. RCA One or whatever it was. And, and such. And Chet loved pop music. Like he was, uh, I think he always said that. Define pop music of that era, though. Uh, well, pop music would be loaded with strings. Oh, yeah, okay. So then go back and listen to the music that was Nashville started churning out, which was the uh, Charlie Rich behind closed doors type. Right. Stuff like that. Oh, so fair enough. And Rhinestone Cowboy, that Rhinestone era. Rhinestone Cowboy, yeah. Right. So that's what started happening. You started hearing all the strings and the big production. Yeah, like uh, the later Beach Boys stuff without all the drugs. <laughs> <laughs> So, so Chet was kind of responsible, and, and Nashville wasn't happy with that. Or, or I wouldn't say Nashville wasn't happy because it was rolling in money. Sure, yeah, that's exactly it. Uh, that was like the first pop boom of Nashville, right? Yeah, and uh, it, the, re- the rest of the music industry, the country music industry, was not too pleased with all that. That's when the outlaws showed up. Right. And said, well, it's funny. This. It's almost like there's been like this like turning over of country music several times, right? Because you're right, you had... You would have had like Johnny Cash and like, and I mean, we go back even further, Hank Snow and all these things. And then you have Chet Atkins come along with this kind of poppy country. We have movements like Rhinestone Cowboy, um, the discoification of country music, if you will. Urban Cowboy. John Travolta shows up in a movie with with a cowboy hat on. We have this kind of like splashing of popular culture the country music dug into. And then full. In come the outlaws. I mean, I don't know the timelines exactly, but then we get this like almost cut back of that into the 80s to some degree because, I mean, yes, they still exist. Like, dance is bop is, I can't think of anything less country on a country album. And that's saying something these days. (laughs) (laughs) And I loved that record as a kid, but like that, there's nothing country about bop. (laughs) Like, it's at all. At all. all. (laughs) But you get out of so bop was like i don't know 84 or whatever 85 right and then there's like this little george Strait run like super cowboy george Strait has his his set of songs that would have been pop too right like there are songs there and and arrangements most of those came later makes sense yeah but a lot of those you know um marina del rey and those Mm -hmm. tunes that have this like I don't know, subtle, uncountry thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but then his, his giant hits are straight ahead, like rodeo country or whatever, right? And then and then the Class 89 shows up. And you know what? Before we get to the Class 89, I think back to 1986. Okay. 
1986 brought us. Uh, this is when everything was still unique. Right. Steve Earle. Right. Comes out in 86. Greg Yoakum. Right, and those guys are like outlaws, right? In 86. If you compare those to Woody Allen and those guys. And Vince Gill. Oh, yeah. So, in 86. Who's so good, he will not be denied. Three totally different players. Actually, and Marty Stewart was also in that era. Good point, yeah, of course. And then fast forward to the class of 89. Yeah, and and those guys like Marty Stewart, of course, splishing, splashing around with Ricky Skaggs and that kind of. Interesting. And that's like the height of you touring with Thompson, right? I was yeah, I was just just sort of finishing up with David Thompson in my okay. last year, and then I was going out on the road with a couple other bands right after that. Right. But that was all watching all that happen in real time. So this is Sean Borden touring nonstop. David Thompson ends. Hank, it sorry, the dogs. <laughs> we have many animals. Um, so David Thompson wraps up. Did he just retire or stop oh, no. or just it just no? Did. He kept going he long kept after I was finished. No, I, okay. I did my three years and yeah. then it was time. And then you yeah you found something else. So, so you're you you've been touring and this is it. You're just like I'm Sean Borden. I'm a touring guitar player. That's what I'm doing. That's awesome. And you're young and you're having a blast yeah. playing guitar like a gunslinger. Phenomenal. Learning. Learning too, anyways. Yeah. Well, I think everybody's always learning, right? Yeah, so exactly. Um, so we're into like 86, 87-ish. Who do you go out with next, or is it just a splash of bands? Uh, still with the Thunder Bay Band. Uh, an, another group called Commander. Okay. And really talented group. They came out of the rock scene okay. of yeah. Thunder Bay, and we went out on the road. They were already together for a couple years, mm-hmm. and I replaced a guitar player that was leaving that band. Okay. And then for three years, we did uh, Commander and then a, a retake of Commander renamed it baton rouge for a year okay and uh country influence at that point it was it was all yeah it was all country stuff that we were doing but we were we were more influenced by the bands Mm. of the era than the artists yeah so yeah so we were looking at restless restless heart was coming onto the scene yeah southern pacific was on the scene uh the dirt band of course was huge in the late late 80s it's so funny because it felt like especially then there was like a completely different scene of just country bands you know like they're almost considered separate no one ever talks about those bands i mean we do but like not as we talk of vince gill you know what i mean exactly yeah interesting and they're so influential you know i mean no we're gonna see restless heart this summer but like yeah that's interesting so you guys are just kind of trying to be the canadian version of that that kind of stuff that's cool that's cool. Did you guys make, are you producing records? You putting out tunes? Never got that far. Just no, touring we, we around. We recorded some tunes. We got got to do some opening acts for Southern Pacific and, oh, neat. and the Dirt Band and uh, and Sawyer Brown. Oh, cool. So got to do some of that stuff. Yeah. But uh, for the most part, we were still just locked into the clubs. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I know that story. Yeah. Okay, so you're kicking around with them. How? So is this leading us to Louisiana Hot Sauce next? or? Close-ish? Well, somewhere, like all that time, I'm still rooted out of Thunder Bay. Okay, so you're rooted out of Thunder Bay. Are you? Are we talking across the country touring, or are we... Yeah. Wow. Yeah, well, uh, I would say southern Ontario out to B.C. Okay, yeah, yeah that makes sense. A lot, no. Not a lot of guys go the other way. So. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. So all the way out to B.C., every little town in between, every, every city, every bar. Wow. That's awesome. 
At least it's awesome if you're enjoying it. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, no, it was wonderful. That's cool. All right, that makes sense. So at this point, it's bars. The country music thing hasn't exploded. Nope. But it's coming. It's coming. So you're still playing kind of top 40, whatever the clubs want to hear. Yeah, and, uh, you know, Cadillac Ranch was absolutely packing a dance floor. That makes sense. in the late 80s. It always has. <laughs> it, it, it has ever since. Isn't it funny, eh? Like yeah. That some songs just never lose their fire. It's no. wild. No. Some of them I wish would. <laughs> Not that one, but some no. of them I'm kind of yeah. wishing would die. <laughs> that's interesting. So, yeah, okay, Nitty Gritty Dirt Band hits with all those tunes, so that's huge. Yeah. Wrestle's Heart is out. They're big. Um, more on the ballad side of things, but still big. Kentucky Headhunters, that era. Oh, yeah, Headhunters. Well, no, actually, the Headhunters were more into the early now. No, no, that's right. Yeah. I'm trying to think. I mean, I, yeah, I would have been, I mean, like five, right? So, 90, yeah. somewhere in there. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's kind of cool. So you're just, you're touring, you're doing clubs. Actually, you know what I was going to ask you? Back then, like, we all know now the Sean Borden Telecaster. We've all seen it. We all know it. We know the sound. You yeah. can tell that guitar when it strikes up. Yeah. What were you playing? What was the instrument? What was your guitar back then? 1984, I got that Telecaster. <laughs> right on. My That's the best. My first year on the road with David Thompson. And it's been with you since. Yeah, I, uh, I joined him in February. I bought, a at the time, I was playing a Les Paul copy, a okay. Japanese Les Paul copy. Sure. And uh, within, within a month, we were in Toronto, and I bought myself a Strat, a brand-new Strat off a wall at Long McQuay. Mm-hmm. And uh, then later that year, uh, it would have been November, out in Pinoca, Alberta. And a guy, I, I had a ES, an Ibanez 335 copy. Yeah, okay. And a guy came up to me in the bar and said, are you interested in trading that? I love that guitar. And we traded and I got my Telecaster. That and that's that. the Telecaster. That is the Telecaster. That's so bananas. In 1984, I got the two guitars that I still play the most to this day. Yeah, you play that's the only guitars I've ever, honestly, other than... Yeah. Yeah, I think. You have a Gretsch, right? I've got a Gretsch, yeah. I've seen you bring it out once. Yeah. And even then, I, d- I think it was for a video thing. I don't think I've ever seen you play it on stage. Yeah. That's cool. I didn't realize that Telly goes back. Is that where all the... So, I mean, obviously, there's all the signatures on it. Yeah. Right? And do they start then? They start right away. That's yeah. genius. Well, they started in 86. Like, that's yeah. brilliant, given how much touring you did and opening for all these people and all the... Because, like, the amount of times that even in our world we cross paths with people, that is really cool. Because I've always, it's always kind of put me in awe when I see that guitar. And the beauty of a Telecaster is you can pretty much do anything to them and they'll still sound like they did the day they were made. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. It's so cool. I mean, (laughs) so what's your, I know you've told me this already, but for posthumous sake, what are the best signatures, the ones that mean the most on that guitar? I know there's a pile of them, so but there's got to be a couple that stand out every time you see them. Still, yeah, absolutely. Um, I'd have to say having Bernie Leadens uh, autograph on there. That's cool. And autograph is loosely said because it's basically big block letters like somebody in grade one. Well, but <laughs> it's, it's Bernie on there. Leiden. <laughs> it's Bernie Leadens. Founder of the Eagles, in case anybody's wondering who Bernie Leiden is. He's one of the founding members of the Eagles. That's crazy. Um, eh? And he was with the Dirt Band at the time. Cool. Yeah. So, of course, having Ibby from the Dirt Band and Ham from the Dirt Band on there is, is good. Wow. Uh, my, uh, one of my 
favorite guitar players of all time has almost always been a sideman, and that is John McPhee. Oh, okay, John yeah, McPhee no kidding. John McPhee plays with the Doobie Brothers now, but John McPhee is the guitar player on, on Elvis Costello's Allison mm-hmm. and stuff like that, and he played with Steve Miller, and, and, uh, and he, ha- he was, that w- Southern Pacific was his band. Right. So uh, having his signature on there is, means that's a lot. That's cool. Yeah, he's a monster. Mon- and a multi-instrumentalist. That's yeah. kind of who I yep. try and model after a little bit. Yeah. And then um, Steve Cook, Creedence Clearwater Revival. Oh, yeah. yeah. Lots so of parties with Stu. No kidding, eh? Yeah. How did you end up with Stu Cook? Well, he was with Southern Pacific. Oh, okay. So, yeah, you're so opening for him. Yeah. we got to do a, a couple shows with them. And yeah. That's cool. I mean, yeah, talk about history, right? That guitar is always put me in awe i mean even to this day which i mean and i see that guitar a lot (laughs) (laughs) like all the time yeah but it's cool man when you get to take a good look at it and you realize how many names are on that guitar it's pretty awesome and i mean again that history is wild wild uh i'm gonna pause and refill my beverage sure today's being brought to us by some kind of bourbon i found at liquor mart i never heard of and then we'll uh we'll come right back and we get telling the people it's 10 a.m no (laughs) even if it was it wouldn't (laughs) stop us (laughs) Beverages refreshed. Did you? Oh, my kid is coming up to tell me he cleaned his room. Yeehaw. <laughs> is it clean? Good job, Joe. Proud day for the whole family. Okay, um, so we talked about the guitar, which is cool, because I really thought maybe there had been some other guitars along the way. Well, but that's wild. Same two you see. In I can't even imagine stuff. how many nights you've played that guitar. Because it would have been your number one go-to for most of what you were playing. Most, yeah, it's always been between that and my Strat. Right. Always. And at this point in time, if I do not have the Tele on a show, you would fire me. It would be kind of <laughs> weird. <laughs> and I, I know, like, if I'm ever getting a call for a, a show, I remember showing up without it once. Somebody said, where's your Tele? Yeah. I mean, I, I get it. Say, I got to have it. I get it. Yeah. I mean, well, and, like, that Telecaster now is as big a part of the Sean Taylor band sound as I am, you know, <laughs> as my as my <laughs> as my voice. They do have a thing. I mean, yeah. every telly's different too, which I always find interesting. I've owned a lot of tellies over the years. And none of them touched a that one yet, eh? And yeah, I just always went back to this one. Uh, so I just sold off everything I wasn't going to play. Yeah. So why keep them? Well, it's got a good neck and feels yeah. right. And that's the other thing. They're all, they all feel different. Yeah. It's not just sound different. It, they're, well, I guess all guitars are like that. Les Pauls and everything. There's no carbon copy of one guitar. They're all different and all unique. Um, now, before we cross out of the 80s into Sean Porton playing in the 90s, yep. I know you have an affinity and a love for the Brian Adams early stuff. Well, all Brian Adams, but that 80s Brian Adams stuff has to be the where the intro, the intro, right? Because yeah. I, I can't even imagine. I know I have a my my uncle Ted, who you met the other a couple gigs yeah. ago. Um, told me a story of going to see Loverboy, I believe, in Winnipeg, because everyone was a Loverboy fan back then. And this young punk kid in a white T-shirt came out with like a three-piece band and kicked the snot out of Loverboy for an entire set. I was opening. at the same concert, but it was in, <laughs> in Thunder, Thunder Bay. Bay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I don't want to rule out it being Thunder Bay. I was young when he told me the story, because yeah. I know he lived in Ontario too briefly, but like yeah. he said, it just, just mopped the floor with them. That must have been wild to see Brian Adams at his wildest. Yeah, that would have 
he would have recorded uh, You Want It, You Got It, his second album. Okay. Oh, wow. And, uh, and he's playing guitar? He, he played a little guitar, but he had still, he already had T. Scott. Right. Designed. T. Scott's with him. Did they have a bass player? It was actually that he had his band pretty much fixed yeah. at that point. I don't think okay. it's changed much. Yeah, I just know like periodically you'll see a version of them where Brian's on bass. And oh, you're like, well, no. this isn't as awesome. No. I mean, it's no, awesome, it but it's like those two guitars make a big difference. Yeah. You know, that the two sounds of their guitars working together. It's like tragically hip. You kind of have to have them both, you know, for that sound. But that's awesome. Okay. so And you, you've been a Brian Adams fan since pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I'll tell you a little story when... Uh, in your early 80s, mm-hmm. back in Thunder Bay, and as I was starting to play the clubs right. and that, there was a donut shop right across the street from uh, the encounter. Okay. Just kitty corner from the encounter. And we used to hang out there all the time because I was underage. I couldn't just go to the bar. Right. But Brian Adams played the encounter, and we went and stood at the back door. And, uh, oh, wow. One of the roadies opened up the door so we could hear it really loud and clear. So that was back on his first and second album as well. That's so, it so was, cool. It was really neat to, to listen to that. Couldn't see it. But his raw energy in those days, those those years, because it's so different than what was happening. You know, like, there's a guy who changed, like, broke the mold. He was different than Loverboy and all those bands of the early 80s that we were accustomed to. Those guys were playing balls to the walls rock and roll. That was it. <laughs> yeah. And well, obviously, I mean, people love them, but it's interesting. That would have been amazing to see. I've always been kind of a little bit jealous of those early, of catching acts early. You know, like I know in his early years, Keith Urban came to Winnipeg and played like a concert hall or something. Like, I mean, 2,000 people, Keith Urban. <laughs> like, yeah. what a what an incredible opportunity to hear that guy play guitar in that setting, right? And that Brian Adams. Yeah, and like Brian Adams in a bar in Thunder Bay would have been nuts. Yeah. That would have been incredible. Yeah, I wish I'd have been old enough to actually, to get, actually in get in and see the front end of that thing coming yeah. at you. That would have been wild. Yeah. Oh but my. But I did see that show with Loverboy. Nice. I opened up for Loverboy. And then in 84, late 84, on his. Uh, no, actually, a correction. It would be late. Yeah, late 84, early 85, Reckless was just coming out. Mm hmm. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. And uh, I saw the Reckless tour, mm. and it was early on his his promotion, but he was starting to hit the height of his popularity. Actually, it's hard to say that because that it's was hard the height of his initial popularity yeah. before he became worldwide. That was North yeah. American. Popularity. Yeah, that's before the Rod Stewart Sting level fame that he had yeah, later, exactly. <laughs> which is nuts. That's right. It was the just Robin before Hood that fame, happened. right? Wow. And he was headlining that show. And that's bananas. Where, so when we uh, when we reference these bands like Loverboy and these bands coming through Thunder Bay, where are they playing? Like, is it an arena show? Some like there's a barn there. I don't know. Oh, in, in Thunder Bay. Well, back then it was the Fort William Gardens. Okay, it cool. was where everybody was playing. A hockey rink. Uh, yeah, yeah. Multi-purpose hockey, kind of like the Keystone Center kind of thing. Five thousand people. Okay, so yeah, yeah, about the same size as Keystone and Brandon, right? Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah, so I got to see lots of different bands in there. That thing they used to have in Thunder Bay was, uh, I mean, here we do socials mm-hmm. here in Manitoba. Mm-hmm. Thunder Bay, they used to have something called Boogies. Oh. And there was two rooms where the exhibition comes to, to Thunder Bay. There's uh, a room called the Auditorium mm-hmm. and a room called the Coliseum. Oh. And the 
Coliseum used to have that. That's where you would go see Harlequin for oh, two okay. nights on a Friday, Saturday. Right. It's basically or a bar it was on just steroids. A giant bar. Jesse Goulet. Like, like, <laughs> yeah, roughly fifteen hundred people. Wow. Standing room only. Nice. Uh, no seats or anything. You just get your red solo cup, fill it up with beer, and and so. Go. Winnipeg reference would be like Cowboys size. No, Cowboys isn't that big. No, no, Winnipeg. We, we don't really have like the Burt almost, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking that it'd be like a. It's almost like a smaller. It's like an arena. But shrunk down for entertainment purpose. Y- yeah, exactly. Like they, it, because it was part of the Lakehead Exhibition, which oh was yeah. the Red River Exhibition. Mm-hmm. That'd be where all the animals went. Oh yeah, know, yeah. Like that. So you oh. had this huge, huge right. room. Right, like well, they do that. I know in Brandon for I think the Royal Fair or something. Some of those, some of those side rooms that are usually for animal exhibitions. Honestly, I've played yeah. in those barns. Like they're yeah. basically a barn. Barn, yeah. Uh, yeah, so significantly bigger than. Okay, so they're called a big. What a fascinating concept. Every weekend, That's and and uh, well, and again, and this probably goes back to Thunderbee being in the exact right place, because in the in those days, that is the exact right place for bands to need to stop yeah so why not make some money exactly. it's really too far of a run from say winnipeg to toronto yeah for a band like you could do it thunder in bay and Dana, Saint Marie. but thunder bay and sault Ste. marie are the logical stops yeah. along that highway yeah and so you might as well have places for those bands to play if you can put a thousand people in a room and sell them 50 cent beer or whatever you're laughing right yeah. what's a ticket to something like that cost buck buck or two yeah yeah two bucks that's maybe. awesome it wasn't much imagine seeing some of those bands for two bucks it's just bananas <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's really cool okay i was always wondering how the brian adams thing kind of fit in because yeah. you're you, in a lot of ways i think well i think all musicians are like this especially all country musicians especially i don't know any country musicians who are only country fans I, not that i've met there's lots of great music out there. There's great why, music out there. Why limit it? Yeah, and we yeah. see influences. We get, you know, we start talking about, well, we, when, when we start talking about parts for songs and stuff, we start hearing things like, do that Mark Knopfler thing or whatever, right? Yeah. Like you hear these little things guys say, or that's very blah, 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 and you're like, oh, yeah, that works. That's pretty cool. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, I'm not surprised that you have all these other influences. I knew that because we've listened to a bunch of music together when we're driving and stuff, but it's, uh, it's always fun to kind of figure out where it all comes from. Don't get me going on the Clash. No. <laughs> oh yeah, that's pretty cool. That's cool. Uh, did you ever get to play that kind of stuff? Not so much the Clash. A couple yeah. of their tunes, but yeah. Playing a playing a bar that allows you to play the Clash would probably end up in a lot of broken stuff, is my guess, yeah. just for that era, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, so what are you gonna do? <laughs> so, so, so you're out with. Okay, I'm trying to go back here in my head. So you're you're, I mean, again, straight touring. It's the late '80s. Yep. You're still grinding away. You've been in a couple different bands. Nothing really original other than David Thompson, who had his own original project that you're just kind of backing, essentially. Uh, Hired gun type situation for a few years. What's the first project you were part of that was like an original project? Where they were like, Sean, we're going in the studio. Well, in fairness, that would be Foster Martin. Okay. That's what I was wondering, because I know... Like, the name Louisiana Hot Sauce has always been in, in my head, right? But I know yeah. that band was a little different thing, right? That's basically a cover band, right? It, it was, yeah, we, we wanted, 
it, it was a it really good band, <laughs> and, and we had lots of originals. We did record, mm-hmm. um, but we were so busy trying to make a living mm-hmm. that we couldn't afford to go in a studio and, and record and right. do the recordings. What year, when did, you, how did that band come to be? Was it already there and you just got adopted? No, no. You're that part of the yeah, that when I moved, I moved to Winnipeg in 89. Right, okay, so there's a, there's a good, good point. Yeah. So in 89, you were touring. Yeah, just finishing up pretty yeah. much, yeah. Um, you've met your lovely wife. Yeah. Perfect. You, are you guys married? Uh, at, well, we got married in 89. 89, okay. Yeah. And, and that was the kind of like, okay, we might as well just move to Winnipeg. That's right. I was from Thunder Bay. She was from Saskatchewan. And we met in the middle. Diamond we Rail. both had family in Winnipeg, so it made it easy to It's a lot further than walking one way and walking the other, but yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. so you just you got family here and it just made sense, right? Yeah, exactly. So who was the first here? Was your dad here already? Yeah, my dad was already here. My brother was here. Okay, yeah. And uh, my wife's sister was already living here and, and married right. with so, so family, that's had, huge. We both had family to, to lean on. Especially with you touring. Yeah. It's, it, it's hard you n- for people, especially families, when, you know, someone's touring all the time. If you don't have someone to, you know, family to lean on when you need them, right? So yeah. especially kids and everything, it comes in so handy yeah. having babysitters and, <laughs> you know, a little bit of help yeah. here and there, right? Well, that's cool. Okay, so 89, you end up in Winnipeg. All right, how do we get to Louisiana Hot Sauce? Well, the first, when I, when I went out looking for work in Winnipeg for playing, um, one of the first persons I went to see was Donna Henry. Mm-hmm. And Donna Henry was playing the beautiful Brooklyns at the time. Right. So we, I went into the Brooklyns, and her guitar player, when I when I met her and I, I said I, I brought a resume and a tape mm-hmm. and I said I'm, you got a great band I'm not looking to jump here but if you know anybody looking for a player mm-hmm. and uh, she called over the guitar player immediately and said Lyle you should come meet this guy and right. it ended up being Lyle Baldwin right on <laughs> Lyle Baldwin and I of course that that go that's gonna move forward into a lot of the stories but of course. But uh, that's where I met Lyle Baldwin, and interestingly, he worked at Major and Minor. He was yep. doing guitar repair at Major and Minor. Okay. I was on the sales floor at Major and Minor trying to make a living. So you guys were working together we already? We were working together and didn't know it. Oh, that's funny. That's yeah, funny. because we were in different rooms, and, and, and he knew my name. Like, as soon as he met me, he said, you're at Major and Minor, so he recognized Yeah, me. of course. But it was like we didn't put two and two together until that day. Was Major and Minor that big back no. then? Oh, no. it was just he just no, had it was just small, but he had he was the guitar guy that was in the back of the building. Right, so I never tinkering away. See him. Oh, that's funny. And so anyway, yeah. So I met Lyle Baldwin there, and Lyle got me a couple of Donna Henry gigs just as an extra person sure. right away. Yep. And then Lyle had his own band, and would call me in to play that whenever I could. But mm-hmm. at the time, I didn't want to go on the road. I was just settling down. Yeah, you just moved and yep. all that job. So I didn't want to do much of that. And uh, then Lyle got a job offer with a group called Trapline. Trapline, Al Dejarlis, Darren Lavery. Right. So they get Lyle Baldwin in and they say, you know what, we're also looking for a guitar player. And Lyle said, well, let's call Sean. I got a guy right on. I went in and I got to play with with Darren. And Lyle and I were in that band together for about a year and a half. Wait a second. Al Dejarlis. Darren Lavely, yeah. you, 
Lyle Baldwin. Just is that not four guitar players? Well, hold on. <laughs> Al, Al was leaving. I, I missed okay. that step. Okay. Al, <laughs> Al was leaving. And Lyle Baldwin actually was the bass player. Oh, cool. He I mean, got well, listen. To play the bass player. Lyle could play a phone book and make yeah. it sound good. It doesn't yeah. matter. <laughs> like, that's so I didn't that's interesting. Yeah. Okay. And Darren's fronting, playing Darren's guitar, fronting. fiddle, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So you got two fiddle players. <laughs> yeah. And they, <laughs> one, they one would, playing bass. Every now and then they would switch off. Slick. Yeah. Okay, so that's tra- I didn't know you I didn't know you did trapline gigs. Yeah. That's cool cuz I've uh, I've only heard the name trapline before. Yeah. And someday I mean I got to get all those guys in here yeah, one, I mean, one by one, but just loved playing with Darren. No was, kidding. Yeah. No that's, kidding. That's back in in I mean he's had great years of all along, but that yeah. was just such a magical time. He must have been at the height of his powers. Yeah. That voice. Holy yeah, smokes. Absolutely. Gigging all the time, that voice. Wow. I can't even imagine. Yeah. Chummy opens his mouth, I'm like, I would, like, 20% of that voice would be fine. <laughs> I would take 20. Give me 20. So you guys are touring northern Manitoba pretty much? Uh, well, no, we, we did mostly local stuff, okay. and then we go out to Brandon, and, yeah, we go out to Thompson. Kind of the usual stuff Rapids we all do. Or all yep. that stuff. Yeah. Nice. Trap. Yeah. That's awesome. I had no clue even how we're in trap line. Yeah. That's really cool. And... And uh, towards the ending time of Trapline, mm-hmm. Lyle and I were, were talking about doing a project, and that's where Louise Ann Hot Sauce was born. Okay, now here's the question I keep asking for in my own head. What the hell? Who came up with that name? Uh, four guys in a, at a kitchen table. Um, I like it. Don't get, I w- yeah. Listen, I was in a bar, bar <laughs> band called Pop the Trunk. Don't get me started <laughs> on, on names. Louise Ann Hot Sauce is a great name. It's just funny that a bunch of dudes in Winnipeg <laughs> came up with it. <laughs> yeah, we... Um, what happened was the original band was myself, Lyle Baldwin, Cam Patterson on drums, and oh, Vaughn Poyser on bass. Oh, no kidding. I didn't know Vaughn was lead. Yeah. That's cool. Right on. So so we sat down, and we were trying to figure out a name. And everybody had a name that they would throw in. And Louisiana Hot Sauce ended up being everybody's second choice. Oh, Yeah. But that's nobody had a consistent first choice. Yeah, but that's how so bands work. That's, that's, that's how it worked. That's, that's how democracy. That was <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. Yeah. It's a great name. It really is. It's just funny, a bunch of dudes in Winnipeg yeah. being like, yeah, well, I like Louisiana. Lyle Baldwin's name that he threw in. Okay. <laughs> Awaken the Ditch. Awaken the Ditch. That is not that far off. <laughs> I get it. That feels about right. That's, that's really that, good. that was the one I voted for. <laughs> There's a song in that one. I like that. That's, a, that's pretty funny. Um, and that, so kind of same thing, though. You guys are playing clubs. You're playing locally. You're doing a few towns here and there. Or is it a, like up and away we go? Louisiana Hot Sauce was right back to where I was in the 80s. So what Almost year What year is this? 1992 we got together. Oh, okay. And then so then you guys are touring. Because I've seen video of you guys, like yeah. TV stuff. Yeah. Okay. So And you're touring now. Like it is like back on the road. Back on the road. The height of country music. Really height of country music, exactly. Six nights a week, ready to rock. It was it was nonstop. We would the difference between that and back from when I was playing out of Thunder Bay was Louisiana Hot Sauce would go out for six weeks, mm-hmm. come home for two or three. Mm-hmm. Everybody had their families. Everybody wanted right. to get home. Right. So yeah, we'd go out and do six weeks in the rooms, give or take a little bit, sure. and then we'd come home and we, we there were a lot of rooms to play in Winnipeg. Of course, you could be home for two yeah. or three weeks and play a different room every play week, right? Play a different right? room for two or three weeks and then and head back get out, out of again. town again. Yeah, so we were always making a living and, yeah. and grinding. But wow, yeah. early nineties. So we did that for 
three and a half to four years. Wow. That's a, I mean, it's a grind, but it's also, wow, that's pretty cool. I mean, to be able to, I know a bunch of bands did that. I know that was, because that's, I always hear it. All the guys from your generation are playing, well, you guys, you missed out on the six nights a week we could play and make a living, blah, blah, blah. And yeah, we did miss out. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's well, that kind of time put in that results in guys who can just pick up a guitar and go and pick up a bass and play and who can sing like without ever warming up it's you know? a comfort level yeah yeah that is when we're at our best with us when we're playing in, like say in the summer when we've played you know maybe eight dates in three weeks or something like that that is as good as it gets for us really and like yeah. when you feel how quickly your hands find its way around a guitar the way you know exactly what everybody on stage is going to do when it gets real smooth real fast yeah it would be really cool to live that for a little bit to know what a six week straight run feels like would be pretty cool yeah. even like those even small tours and stuff i can't even imagine how good those guys get you know though some of them only play 90 minutes a night whatever <laughs> <laughs> so that's cool louisiana hot sauce touring across i didn't know vaughn was in the band that's news yeah, that's well pretty that cool yeah that was a short-lived version of the band sure yeah yeah but uh yeah we uh we had hired another fella out of the states to come in and play keyboards oh neat um how did he do that what like why a guy out of the states where'd you find him he he, he married a winnipeg girl oh well there you go and and moved to winnipeg and was looking for a winnipeg band to play in and winnipeg girls will get you yeah and uh so he uh we wanted to get him in the band yeah and that kind of we didn't have enough money like the the finances didn't work out so that's when lyle baldwin went back to playing a, a lot more bass oh okay so he became so the bass he player. became the right. bass player and so one of the front men because this other guy was a front man as well mm. and so we had the two front men and then uh, Don, the keyboard player, would play keyboard bass like the Dirt Band does. Oh, yeah, right. When Lyle would grab the fiddle or the acoustic for right. certain songs or mandolin. Super functional. It was, yeah, it was moving pieces. When did you start messing around with all these other instruments? Like, I know you said you, you'd, all, you'd kind of idolized some multi-instrumentalists and stuff. But, like, you, I have seen you set up some pretty intense setups on stage before namely in more than once but yeah. like you know i've seen a pedal steel a banjo a guitar a piano i've seen it all up there one time or another. so when when did you was it just always just kind of picking stuff up as you go or when did you start needling with all these things well the keyboard has always been there right so going back even to my early days in thunder bay i almost always had a, a synthesizer or a keyboard beside me well it's a very functional thing of the 80s too right yeah. is to have a, a synthesizer synthesizer on hand for those moments you can't cover with a guitar that are very synth heavy right so yeah exactly yeah, that makes so sense. I'd, I'd, I'd play Fun. some guitar lines I'd, I'd have a guitar chord hanging and i'd turn around and play a, a synth line cool or something and so can you pass me that bottle there because you know when in rome thank you okay so so that's so always the keyboard's music. always been there um and i all through those bands uh, with david thompson with the bands out of thunder bay mm -hmm. I always had a keyboard by my side. Even in Louisiana Hot Sauce in the early days, I okay. had a keyboard by yeah. beside my side. Right. By my side until we had a keyboard player. Right, of course. Yeah, yeah that's when it changed. Neat, okay. So, so that's always been there. That's always been there. Uh, the pedal steel, that's Craig Fotheringham. Oh, okay. 
Craig, uh, and, and it's relatively new in my world because right. uh, in about it was about 2008, give or take a bit. Oh, really? Yeah. He oh, wow. he said, Sean. He says, Do you play pedal steel? I said, No. And he says, Buy yourself a pedal steel. I'll give you some session work. Oh yeah, right, right on. And because uh, I guess uh, well, there's always Jimmy Creasy plays pedal steel. Tom Dudian plays pedal steel, mm -hmm. but they're not always available. Of course, yeah. Tommy was tr still always traveling at various times. Mm -hmm. Craig needed parts done, so was I wasn't always the first guy he'd call, sure. but if I'd certainly got calls from him. So oh, that's cool. That's why I bought a pedal steel was because Craig told me. And just started beefing up on yeah. it, learning it. And he told me when I get older, he says, don't worry, you can play forever because nobody cares what the pedal steel player looks like on stage. That's Craig's wisdom. That is actually, <laughs> that's funny that he that he said that because I'm constantly like, I better learn how to play something better. <laughs> I am getting older. Uh, what is this? Angie, can you? Of course, this is going to be on the podcast. Your son is texting me. I don't know something about picking him up or something. I don't know. I'm busy, but anyways, Jacob, can you pick me up from work? Anyways, um. Well, that's interesting, actually, because I, I kind of always wondered how the pedal steel fit into it. And I know, like, I've heard you and James talk about it off and on. That instrument scares the hell out of me because it's so me complicated. I, I can't even imagine the idea of just being like, hey, man, learn a little pedal steel and I'll bring you into the studio yeah. to cut some parts on records. What? Craig, Craig <laughs> was really nice. At that point in time, he knew I wasn't going to be able to come in and cut it on the spot. So he would send me the tracks. So he could work stuff and out. And he'd say, work it out and send me your part. Cool. And well, anything I sent him always made it onto the, nice. onto the track. Nice. So he, he knew I was just going to waste his time. That's fair. <laughs> I get that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I know <Yeah>. that feeling. <laughs> cool. Okay. Well, that's a little cart before the horse stuff. But yeah, yeah for sure. So Louisiana hot sauce goes a few years. You're touring and all that. How do we... How does that end? Does it end? I mean, like, obviously it ended, but like, yeah. did you just, you guys just, eh, it's been a long run. It's been, it was a long run. It was four solid years. That's of, a lot of, of six weeks on and yeah. a couple weeks off. And, and, kids uh, and Lyle Baldwin just said, just don't want to do it anymore. We're just repeating ourselves each year. And we were. Yep. And because we were trying to make a living, we couldn't get any funds together to record yeah that side of it which is a whole different thing yeah it's different when you're 20 and you're living on ramen in someone's yeah in an apartment with four guys or whatever when you have families and everything you have mortgages and yeah you're yeah you're making a living but that's it right that's it. okay yeah so we couldn't couldn't really get ahead mm -hmm. so it, it finally folded okay yeah. that makes sense so you come home yep. did you go were you working a major minor the whole time i went i went back to major minor okay at nice that point. right on because I was there in the early 90s and then again in the mid to late 90s. Okay, yeah. that makes yeah. sense, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I went back there and joined up with, uh, I joined up with Wild Angels. Oh, no kidding. I didn't know that. Yeah, so See? actually Wild Angels was just starting at that point. Okay. And I was the initial guitar player with Tracy Young, Wendy Cameron, and uh, Taylor Adams. Right. I was making sure. Yeah. That's cool. I didn't know you were the original director. That is so funny. And then I know there's a lot of interbreeding in all this stuff. Like, cause <laughs> yeah. like, you know, like, because I was like, Mike Charlotte was in Wild Angels. He, yeah, he, he took my job when I left. Cool. Yeah. And that's, I played with Mike, obviously. Yeah. So very cool. Yeah. That's interesting. I guess, yeah, there's only so many players that go around town, right? After a while, once 
Yeah. Once we get closer to me being out of high school, I start finding all the links, <laughs> yeah. right? Because yeah. we're like nearing the end of the 90s, starting to find our way into the early 2000s. So you're playing with Wild Angels. That must have been nuts. Those three ladies and their voices out the gate must have been the trem- tremendous. Were Oh, wow. Three very good lead singers. Yeah, good front people. Yeah. I've always said the best harmonies, and that's the Eagles, whatever we're talking about here, the best yeah. harmony bands have, everyone's capable of fronting. Yeah. Because you need that power and control to really make good harmony, right? That's yeah. what really matters. Um, one of the things I'm very fond of with our own, b- own band is that all you guys can sing front if you need to. And it, it shows in the harmonies, right? So th- I can't imagine, Wild Angels must have been... Tremendous. It I wish really I could have caught that. I wish yeah. they'd do a reunion thing. Yeah. And the drummer could sing. Who's the drummer? Emil Chartrand. Oh, I don't know. Oh, he did some really good vocals back there. He would do some Junior Brown and Oh, no stuff kidding. Like that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Wow. He was, was he singing harmony as well? Like, you yeah. get that four part thing going? Oh, yeah. So, wow. Yeah, I mean, Emil and I were the third and fourth voices into the band wow. when needed. Right. Which wasn't very often. Yeah. That's wild. That's a nifty. you're the fifth harmony pardon (laughs) (laughs) wow that's really neat i didn't know you played in wild angels that must have been cool so that that's basically at that stage they're well i know but like a bar band that's like yeah bar country band right doing that kind of thing kind of the same scene around town a little bit out of town here and there playing the cover thing country's still kind of huge it's the 90s Especially for women, because country was massive for women in the late nineties. That's exactly what was happening. Shania Twain and the Dixie Chicks. Yeah, that's that. The early Dixie Chicks, mid Shania boom, right? That's late nineties. Right. And and all the really good stuff like Mary, Mary Chapin. Yeah. All boy. of that was coming out. And Kathy Matea. Yeah. Some all really the heavies. Good material. I mean, early Terry Clark. Yeah. We're talking like there's some heavy stuff coming in that late nineties era. Again, almost like a little bit of like a lull before a country pop boom again. <laughs> you yeah. know, like there's yeah. some really heavy, especially female artists, which is interesting. I wonder what is what is the connection there in the late 90s with female artists? Because you're right, there was like... I think Shania busted the door down. She did, but there's good. no link between Shania and Mary Chapin Carpenter and sound. No, but the genre. But, but the, 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 the genre probably just yeah. embraced more women, which was... Tremendous, because man, there was some good stuff. I mean, obviously we had Reba and all those amazing women artists prior, but like when I think of like the peak, like some of the greatest of our of our artwork for that late '90s run must have been nuts to hear. Like, can't imagine flicking on the radio the first time and hearing Dixie Chicks. Yeah. Like, I mean, I was alive, but I wasn't like part of the industry. I couldn't imagine being a, a gigging musician and hearing, what the hell is that? Yeah. <laughs> like, it would have been something. That's very cool. Well, again, it's the same thing with Shania. Mm-hmm. That first single must have been earth-shattering because mm-hmm. she must have exploded out the gate, I would assume. Well, whose band? Yeah, yeah that must have been nuts. It was huge. Um, um, and you playing all these with those one? bands, like with Wild Angels? You oh, yeah. All this stuff? Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. Did, they did most of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Trying to think back with uh, like Shania had a song a year or two earlier. Dance. Yeah. Dance with the one who run, brought you. Or yeah, but that was before Mutt Lang, right? Before Mutt. And yeah. it, it was. Because she has to come from really somewhere, good, right? She had some yeah. really good stuff. A, a, a girl who's, you know, playing bars or whatever in, in Timmins and, and yeah. et cetera is not going to just all of a sudden end up in Mutt Lang's studio. There has to be something before that, right? Yeah. So that's interesting. I, w- I should actually go back and find that stuff because I wonder what it's 
actually. Yeah, it's actually it's of quite course, good. Of course, it's great. Yeah. She would have been a monster. So. It, it wasn't produced the same way. It was way more traditional. It yeah. was like most stuff coming out at the time. Okay. Yeah, as everyone does, right? Yeah. Until they until they find that thing that makes them different. In her case, it's an amazing producer and a really good yeah. ability to write a hook. <laughs> and the Def Leppard samples. And all the Def Leppard samples. <laughs> I'm always like, you guys really need to listen to that song and listen to Def Leppard. What are you talking about? Listen to the vocals. <laughs> oh, there they are. <laughs> yeah. Re- replace all the all the distorted guitars with fiddles. Yeah. And there you go. Slightly distorted fiddles if you really yeah, listen actually. to it. Yeah. Actually, yeah, it's, yeah. he's got a thing. <laughs> that guy has a yeah. sound. Um, yeah. Okay, so there's Wild Angels. You move on from Wild Angels. Is that when we end up in the Foster Martin band? I had to take a break from Wild Angels. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was working at Major and Minor, playing with Wild Angels, and I actually developed carpal tunnel. No kidding. Yeah. And Just from all the playing. All the playing. And uh, doctors told me, I, I, A, I, I could slow down my playing, mm-hmm. um, or surgery, and I didn't want to do surgery. Yeah, no kidding. So I, I, that's when I went to the board and said, I, you know what, I need to take a break. Mike came in. So Mikey yeah. comes back from Grammy Kill and picks up the Wild Angels game. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Uh, and I, uh, yeah, so I, I got totally out of playing there for about six months. Wow. Yeah. Not, this is probably, not my choice. I was going to say, this is probably a better question for Denise. Yeah. Um, I took a year off fronting all that jazz when we were trying to have Joe. Um, and I'm pretty sure part of the impetus of me going back was like, either you go back or I'm going to kill you. <laughs> I mean, Probably similar. yeah, I can't even imagine. So like, were you, did you feel it? Was it like one of those, like got like the first month must've been like, Oh, this is kind of nice. And then after that, were you jonesing? Um, yes and no. I, w- I wanted to play. Yeah. I couldn't really play much. Is this the start of Sean Borden, the sound engineer, the live sound? Tech? Actually. Yeah. I started doing, I'm one. I was quite wondering. A, quite a bit of sound, but my sound goes back to the Thunder Bay. I figured. Well. I figured it would. I yeah. was. Ju- I was going to ask you where that kind of started and came yeah. from, but this must have been kind of a good thing to. That's exactly dabble what in. happened. I, uh, I I became the sound tech down at the Norwood for quite a quite a while. For no kidding. Years. Oh yeah. wow. I bet that's the same PA I played on in the Norwood in the <laughs> 2010 <laughs> before yeah. the Renos. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, then I went off and uh, from there I got shipped off to Stagger Lees, which is Pulla Park Inn. Oh, okay, and like the uh, Canadiens out yeah. there. Stagger yeah. Lees, I've heard that name a bunch. Obviously, and, and Stagger Lees. When I was mixing there, I mixed a band called Thirsty Cactus, and I met a guy named Jeff Kula for the first time. And that's. I remember Jeff <laughs> talking about the idea of you. I think you did sound for us once at the po- uh, the Palomino Club. Mm. I think, uh, oh man, what was his name? Emil? Emil? Was yeah. he the sound guy there? Yeah. yeah I, think so. I think he couldn't, or he was sick or something, and you subbed in maybe a Tuesday country okay. night. They used to do the two-stepper night or something, and Thirsty Cactus was there. And I knew who you were already because I'd been a Foster Martin band fan, but I was still in my infancy in this whole thing, and I was just terrified to talk to you. So (laughs) I just didn't, (laughs) which is hilarious now that I know you so well. That's so stupid. (laughs) But, like, um, I remember him saying, oh, yeah, yeah, Sean used to do do sound at Stagger Lees and blah, blah, blah. Okay, that's cool. That's interesting. And that's so that's where the Thirsty Cactus band pops up, and that's Thirsty Cactus before Mike Sherlett enters that picture. But Vaughn would have been on bass. 
Thirsty Cactus and it No, was, they had a different bass player. It was uh, the singer's husband yeah. at the time. Connie's ex-husband was the bass player. Right. I, I remember, remember his name, but yeah. yeah. I don't know. I was before yeah. my time, but yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, so Jeff, bass player, Connie. Who's on bass? Was it Kevin? No. Bass player was Connie's No, husband. sorry. Uh, guitar. Uh, guitar. On guitar... Yeah, I mean, I don't know. This is all history before my time. I'll, I'll ask Jeff. <laughs> Interesting. Okay, so, but anyway, so you, you're doing sound there because you're not playing guitar. Yeah. Okay, and you're working a major minor. Yep. Okay, fair enough. So keeping busy anyways, keeping your fingers in the, in the mix. In the scene a bit. Yeah. Keeping it going. That's cool. Country music's still kind of the thing. Mm-hmm. We haven't reached that sad state where it was like you have to play 80s pop or you're in dance tunes or you're not allowed in this bar. So yeah. that's cool. Country music's still going. You've done six months of this, and you're thinking, I really want to start playing again? Or Didn't even think much. Actually, it was, I mean, sound went on for years. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah so I never stopped doing that. Actually, I didn't meet Jeff till closer to 2000. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah but uh, what happened was I was sitting in uh, the music store, major and minor, working one day, mm-hmm. and Ellen Popovich came in. Right. Alan Popovich, for anybody original listening, is the original guitar player for the Foster Martin Band. Mm-hmm. So Alan comes into the store one day, and I had, I knew Alan already. And mm-hmm. he's, so we just sat down and started talking. As they do in the music was, store. He was grabbing guitars off the wall, and he said, Sean, he says, I'm leaving the band. Do you want the gig? Wow. And I just went, I'd love the gig. So you're stepping into Foster Martin post uh, Papa Joe and all that? No. I'm stepping into Foster Martin in just after years. ragtime. Oh, so in its early years, yeah. basically, right? Yeah. They're they're getting a little bit of headway, head steam, whatever. Alan's not going to do that. So yeah, Alan, I, I don't know for sure. I don't think it was ever official, but Alan was definitely afraid of flying. Oh, okay. And the band wanted to go to Europe. So that's not a good right, combination. Right, because they were popping in Europe. Yeah. Yeah, most people don't know how big those guys were. Yeah. That is hilarious. Yeah. So I think that's... I don't know for sure, but yeah. but yeah, Alan make, w- yeah. just said, "Yeah, I don't want this." Whether it was just that, or yeah. he just didn't want any Could of that. Whatever, yeah. But you you know Alan, you've yep. met him a few times. Yes, one hell of a dude, and yeah. a great player. I love yeah. I love when he's on stage. Wonderful person, wonderful player. Yeah. And uh, anyway, yeah. So he he asked if I wanted to do that gig. That's and awesome. And I said yes. <laughs> and, and yes, I would very much. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, and then I find out uh, 20 years later that uh, Lyle Trouser was not too happy with Alan. <laughs> <laughs> you gave your gig to who? Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Essentially, you don't get to hire the player. I guess I didn't know any of this, but when I went down for rehearsal, I got the gig immediately. Yeah. I thought I was going in for a rehearsal. I didn't realize it was an audition. That makes sense. I get that. Yeah. I, I totally get that. <laughs> I do too. Yeah, because uh, yeah, uh, obviously. It's very clear after all these years now being around a satellite around you guys is that like that's Lyle's baby. Yeah. That band Lyle is Lyle's baby. Yeah. yeah. Lyle and Ray Lyle obviously. Time, but yeah. like yeah. But now I mean, you know, like that is Lyle's whole deal. He is in love with that project. And yeah. so he should be. It's been a massive success over the years. Yeah. Um, but that's funny. That's interesting. So you show up for your rehearsal. Luckily they like you enough to keep you around. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and Lyle Baldwin was already in the band at this point. Too. Oh really? Yes, Lyle Baldwin was already there for about a year. As, so is he as a as, an, as a sixth sixth 
So he's playing fiddle or whatever. Fiddle, acoustic mandolin, and, and vocals. All the amazing things Lyle does. Yeah. That's cool. Okay, so it's it's uh, Foster, Martin, Orton, Baldwin, Grenier. That's Craig, Craig Fogging. And Craig Fogging. Holy man, what a band. Yeah. That is a that is a monster band. Seven piece? Six. Yeah, no, no. Forgetting of, hey, yeah, I'm yeah. gonna have some more of this Elijah Craig. <laughs> That's bananas. Yeah. Wow. See, I've always said six was the right number. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> it gives you some flexibility and extra instrumentation, right? especially for country music. But like, I know it's hard to rationalize, given what we get paid on a nightly basis, to rationalize six guys in a band. But I'd much rather make good music and yeah. not be, be missing parts. You know, not that like, it's not that you can't do it. It's just like I have watched bands. I have watched bands play Devil Went Down to Georgia. In fact, I think I've been in a band that played Devil Went Down to Georgia without a fiddle. Sacrilege. It just doesn't make sense. I just want to yell stop every time I hear it, and I know I'm I know I'm guilty of it. I know I did it too. I'm sure. I'm sure we did. I'm sure Jeff made us do it. (laughs) 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 But it's just like. For yes, it's an extra guy, but to be fair, though, in our infancy, in our early days with Pop the Trunk and later with the early Sean Taylor band, it was hard to find a fiddle player. Yeah, I know they were there, but maybe it was just we didn't have our Jeff and I didn't have our kind of hands in that world, so we didn't know really any of them. Um, we came out of Thirsty Cactus, which was a two electric, gu- electric guitar, female, yeah. male lead, female. Connie played great acoustic guitar yeah. stuff, bass drums. That was it. It was like the um, Mary Chapin Carpenter kind of setup, right? Where it's like kind of acoustic rock country, like you, like a Steve Earle setup. Like you're not getting a fiddle player in there, right? So we just never knew any of them. And usually that's how it works. Some fiddle player knows another fiddle player just like guitar players, right? Yeah. So until we found a fiddle player, we couldn't get a fiddle player. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> it's, exactly. it's a bit of a conundrum. <laughs> um, but so there's six of you. You haven't gotten into the big album yet. Right. Ragtime would have been, or Ragtop right. would have been good. It yeah. would have been big. Ragtop had, uh, I mean, the first album was was yeah was huge. That was a big deal. That obviously, was huge. that came out while Louisiana Hot Sauce was out touring the West and covering everybody those tunes. Everybody asked us about this Foster Martin band from Winnipeg. Yeah, because obviously there has to be us. some explosion that starts that right. Like yeah. that, that must the first album. What was the first album? Uh, Willie's Bar and Grill. Willie's Bar and Grill, yeah. So I may Which never get huge. to heaven. Oh, my God. Just what a great and Rodeo Queen. Yeah. You get out to Alberta, and those were huge. Massive songs. Yeah, no, yeah. makes sense. And all fronted by one of the most distinct voices in Manitoba country history, obviously. Yeah. Like Ray, um, Ray Martin, Ray St. Germain, Darren Riley. Like these are the voices that you know who it is the minute they open their mouth. Um, no one would ever compare any of us to Vince Gill for quality of beautiful voice that we would say. But there is something to be said for being a good singer who's unique. Because when the radio turns on and you go, oh, I know that. That's Foster Martin Band. Doesn't this take us back to earlier in our discussion about the uniqueness of the singers? Not copycats. Yeah. Unique. Yeah, because Steve Earle, Dwight Yoakam, Vince Gill. 
Willie Nelson sounds like Willie Nelson. Yeah. Vince Gill's Steve Earle. They all sound, you know exactly. You know a Steve Earle song before he opens his mouth. Yeah, the acoustic. Yeah, because the way he hits that guitar. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, and every song, mm-hmm. it's just the way they recorded them. I'd love to see a documentary on how they recorded Steve Earle. Yeah. Because I would love to know what was different. Because it was. It was very Whatever different. microphones they were pointed at those guitars were different. It sounded. The only thing that kind of tickled into that idiom was how catch-on. Yep. Because if you think about Small Town Saturday Night Acoustic, it could borderline be a Steve Earle song, right? Like, it's got that thing, but, like, and interesting, they kind of, their style was very similar in their album covers and stuff. But that's beside the point. Obviously, there were some influences there. But that's interesting. And, and like I say, Ray and all those guys, obviously, very unique voices in our industry. And I think that's what launches them out of a small market like Manitoba and into the national scene. Because, like I say, that they open their mouth and you know exactly who it is, right? Yeah. You know Foster Martin Band from the get-go. It was very consistent. So I didn't know Lyle was in the band at that point, like that early. Yeah, he, c- he joined right after the Ragtop album mm-hmm. was finished. And just before you, obviously. And um, about one year before I did. Okay, yeah. all right. Now, are they, they're not touring, because those guys all had jobs and stuff. They never toured. No. No. They They'd go out for a weekend. They're the bloody smartest band I've ever heard of in my life. <laughs> when you're like, yeah, we just figured out a way to like take everyone and their wives to Europe for a month. Yeah. <laughs> and the band paid for it, but like paid the way basically by yeah. gigging, which is like, that's so smart. That's so smart. They, they know how to enjoy life. Yeah, well, because, I mean, if if you're not going to be Garth Brooks, you might as well just get some added enjoyment out of this game, right? Exactly. You know, like, yeah. none of us need to be the biggest artist on earth. You get to make your music that you love, and you get to go have some amazing, amazing life experiences doing it. Yep. So it was the first... They were going to Europe, obviously. It was, it was in the works. It wasn't actually locked in for, for another two years. Because, like, I'm trying to think, like, uh, obviously, at some point, I'm going to have two computers when I do this, so that I can, like, be recall. You know, I'm just going to pay someone to sit here and recall. <laughs> and folks, I'd be like, <laughs> what songs were on Ragtop? <laughs> so what was on that record? Well, Ragtop, Chevy, the big obviously. one is Thank You, Lord, for the Sun. Oh, okay. That's what I was going to get to. That's I was the like, one was that, that the song on that record? Because I couldn't tell you what record it was on. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that was the one off there. And, th- and the rest of it had some good songs, and the one was, was mm-hmm. moderately... Successful, successful. Um, but for the most part, it was a sleeper album. It didn't sure. didn't do a lot, but it had "Thank You, Lord, for the Sun." So it's still a huge selling album, uh, especially now for for posthumously or yeah. whatever. Yeah. So yeah. "Thank You, Lord, for the Sun" is the song we it all know it. Song. It's the Foster Martin band yeah. song. That's that's the kind of song that everybody wishes they could write. Yeah. Once, like everybody wants to write that kind of a song. That that one. Give me one like that, right? Yeah. Um, and not for its reception, just for the song. Yeah. If no one had ever heard it and I heard that in a bar somewhere, I'd be like, oh God, I wish I'd written that. Yeah. I wish I'd written that one. Um, Thank You, Lord, for the Sun is a hit, but not like a giant one, though, at it first. It wasn't released off the Ragtop album. It wasn't released for, Hold on. I think, a few years later. Record scratch. What? <laughs> yeah, because it was Pardon? thought, no drums, no bass. Just a piano, an acoustic, and a voice, and it was so it wasn't released. Wow, I understand the logic, but and how do you know until you know, right? But like, wow. Uh, Yeah, as far as I know, that's before my time. Yeah, but I don't think it was released initially. Because a lot of people know the kind of the story of Foster Martin Band charting ahead of whatever Reba or whatever it was in in Europe, 
but it wasn't fa- Thank You Lord for the Sun, right? No. That's right. It was the next album, wasn't it? It was the next album, which... Which was the... What was the single that charted high there? I can't remember. The, the biggest song that the Foster Martin Band ever had was Forever. Oh, yeah. No, that... It, duh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, that tracks. N- number one across Europe. And number 14 across Canada. So that was that was the biggest. And considering it was all independent. Yeah. And, and you know what it's like to promote independent. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so when you can achieve that as an okay. independent, you're you're doing it strictly not by not by by uh, going out there and meeting with every radio person, not by any of that. You're just doing it on the sake of the song and how much it can carry because the band couldn't get out there you to can't, promote it. You can't physically, and that's a band that's not touring to promote their music. No, they just did it by it was a great song recorded well. And boom, there it, it is. It number exploded. one in Europe. When that song came out, it uh, the, the internet was still in its infancy for music and that. Um, but we got so the emails just flooded in. No kidding. As people were hearing that song, everybody wow. wanted the album. It's a special song. Yeah, right. everybody wanted the song, uh, and the shows that summer after we released it around Christmas time, mm-hmm. nineteen ninety nine to two thousand. Christmas era. Okay. Um, that summer, we did every single major festival from coast to coast. No Canada. kidding. Because every festival wanted us. Right, because it was a hit. Yeah. I mean, number from fourteen across song. the country, right? That's so cool. I mean, I knew I knew it wasn't the one that we all know as the hit. Um, kind of forever makes sense. That makes total sense why that was a giant hit, a smash. But like those right. guys just crapped out. <laughs> Here's a good one for you. When we were recording the song, uh, at the time, Foster Martin, at, when it does its CD release party, mm-hmm. we would always do the album live. Okay. So you go up Top there as bottom. a band and say, here's the new album, but you would play it live. Cool. Um, as is or tweaks? Oh, uh, pretty much run as best as we could do it. Of course, just run it down. Yeah, I mean, cool. I mean obviously, it doesn't have all the overdubs and, that are on the album yeah, and stuff, but, but yeah. we would do what we could. So anyway, uh, as we were rehearsing for the show for the Moonshine, Moonshine and Moonlight release party, okay. we rehearsed forever. And Craig Fotheringham said, well, guys, he says, keep in mind, this is going to be the only time you'll ever have to play that one live. Because he wasn't a big fan of the song. <laughs> <laughs> that goes to show you that nobody knows. You never know. Because if anybody should know, it's Craig. <laughs> and yeah, Craig. Uh, yeah, Craig wasn't a believer of the song, and the guys released it because they did believe in it, and it exploded, and it exploded around the world. Sometimes you gotta, sometimes you gotta swing from your gut, yeah. you know, especially as songwriters. I feel like most song. I, I don't know if this is indicative of all, but it's for sure in country music. Songwriters, it's almost like there's guitar players, there's drummers, there's front men that but there's also songwriters yeah and sometimes a songwriter just knows there's something yeah maybe there's and and i find a lot of us i don't know if this is true of of lyle and ray but like some of us can be overly emotional about our songs they're like little babies as we call them you know Mm -hmm. and but if you step back sometimes you can look at it and go okay you know that that could be something 
this could be something and it means a lot to you so you want it to be released and if you win that fight obviously it pays off in mm -hmm. that case sometimes yeah. I mean it is that thought like if you love it that much other people are going to love it that much Yeah, you just got to find those people and, and when you write something like forever for instance everybody that's been in a long term marriage mm -hmm. will relate to that song yeah which is a lot of people which is a lot of people that's yeah. huge why I think that's why it was so big. And uh, uh, Craig did a wonderful job recording that. To this day, it's it's one of the best. It's it's so much fun watching you guys perform that tune with a crowd who appreciate you guys for who you are. You know, like your crowd, that song, the right place, the right time. Watching people dance to that is really cool. Because you can, you can see how much that song means to people who've been married a long time. When, yeah. they're, when they're out on that dance floor. It is really cool. <laughs> I saw people at that Cowboys gig who were, like, trying to find seats, and they were having a ball, and, like, they're, like, you could tell they're, like, they haven't been in a big bar in a long time, and but, man, when you guys kicked up, it was, like, everybody was 20. Mm -hmm. It was so much fun to watch. It was really, really special, a uh, really special Those evening. shows are so much fun. It is. It's so cool. They're special. There's people kids. People there to have fun. Right. They do have fun. There was somebody who was like their 91st birthday there, yeah. and there was a kid who ran by me who couldn't have been more than six. Yeah. I was like, this <laughs> is, if you can create a band that can have the impact that the Foster Martin Band did over all these years on all of us and still affect a 91-year-old and a six-year-old. I mean, yes, that six-year-old's probably just been dragged there by his parents. He doesn't know what the hell's going on. He's a, but his grandpa or somebody's on stage or, I mean, yeah. who even knows at this rate with rain, it could be a great-grandpa. <laughs> no, I, and I don't mean yeah. Martin. <laughs> I saw all those kids hanging around, right? Yeah. <laughs> but it's um, it's cool to see. It's I've always like, as I get older, we do our project with the Sean Taylor Band. I I kind of like when you're in your twenties, everybody wants to be a rock star. Yeah, everybody's like, I just want to be a famous country singer. Or in my case, I want to be a famous country singer. Like I'm gonna be Garth Brooks. I'm gonna be whatever. And now nearing 40 finally getting to be part of a project that is unique and i'm very proud of what we do and the music we make it starts to dawn on me that the value is in longevity of making an impact on people and so like even now we're going into play the george tomorrow in my head i don't get nervous about the performance or anything i know we're gonna be great i'm always like man i hope a bunch of people show up and not because I want it to be packed. I just want, I just hope that people, even now, like, well, I hope people still think we're worth showing up for. That's the part. And so then when I go to see you guys do that, that Foster Martin show that you do every year, and I go and see it, I'm like, man, people still show up for this band. And then I watch Ray and Lyle stand at the front door and greet everybody as they come in, and I'm like, okay, these people are friends. They're friends and family, not just whatever you want to call them, fans. Families, uh, they're the fans, the people that listen to us or, or, or buy the albums and come out and see the band get to know the band. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's you guys are so accessible. Yeah. That's the best part. So you and I meet. Where are you playing guitar? So it's got to be 98. Something. Somewhere when when did you then. start playing with Foster Martin? Foster Mar I started in 97. Okay. I think I actually looked this up once. So I think it was later than I thought. I think I thought I was like 13, but I might have been, it might have been like 2000 or so. Okay. Um, you guys played Lyric Theater. Yes, I remember. Yeah, so I think that's around that 
neck of the woods. Um, mom, I'd been playing guitar, singing, delving into country music, obviously, because that was my passion. And my mom says, okay, well, we're going to go see Foster Martin's band. I didn't know who you guys were at the time. Never heard of Foster. I probably did on the radio because we listened yeah. to a lot of radio, but I wasn't like, oh, yeah, Foster Martin band, rock and roll, let's go. Um, she's like, we're going to go to Lyric Theater and see this show. Okay. She's like, I want to introduce you to some people. Thumbs up. Can't wait. Yeah. So we get to Lyric Theater, and I watch you guys play. You guys are phenomenal, obviously. It's a great show. It, it's lots of Ray and, and do his thing and all that stuff. And she brought me there to introduce me to Craig. Yes. Who Craig produced a couple singles, I think, for my dad uh, back in the 80s. Now, my dad and Craig played in bands in Dryden, actually, going all the way back. Okay. Um, yeah. I don't know if Craig's from Dryden, but he obviously yes, lived he there is. long enough. Yeah, so yeah. they played in a couple bands back when they were much younger. I'm guessing mid-70s is my guess. So they played together in Dryden in bands. Uh, so when Dad, now in Winnipeg, is looking to maybe do some singles or whatever, he gets to see Ray, or not Ray, uh, Craig in the 80s. This would have been, I don't know, late 80s maybe. And uh, Craig produces them, so... Uh, when I look at those 45s, it's you know my dad's name, the song, and all that pretty cool. Craig Bauer and stuff, which is yeah. pretty cool. Uh, so I didn't know that because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I didn't even think of that kind of stuff back then. But mom takes me to the theater to meet Craig. Craig is amazing. He's very kind. Gives me some time. You know, doesn't know who I am, but he remem- remembers my mom. Yeah. Uh, uh, and he's he's very kind. Gives me some you know chats a bit. You know all that stuff. Uh, we grab the Moonshine Moonlight. Yeah. I always mix it up. I always mix the words up. <laughs> Moonshine and Moonlight. Moonlight. Yeah. We grab that album, that CD, which my mom still has in her house, um, which I fell in love with. That that whole record, top to bottom, every song on there is a banger. They're awesome. I love the switches back and forth between like the swing stuff and the and the more kind of regular pop country stuff. That's what I love. Yeah. Um, and in and in all that, I got to meet Ray. I met Lyle, and I met you very briefly and that led me to then being like terrified to talk to you when i was in thirsty oh. cactus because <laughs> oh, i just <laughs> no no it was the weirdest <laughs> thing like I, i'd seen you guys up on the lyric yeah. theater and of course when you're whatever 14 or whatever that is like mm-hmm. holy man this is huge and like people show up yeah. like we're not talking like a listen we've all seen the the winnipeg shows where there's some band up on a stage like lyric theater and there's 12 people in lawn chairs and half of them are their grandparents or whatever right like no there's people at this show it's a show um which was very exciting especially getting to go back there and meet everybody which is really wild um and that was the only time i i met craig um before he passed obviously i don't really know what came out of that other than getting a foster martin band cd for me anyways but there was kind of like these little moments in your life where you like kind of kind of touch on greatness and then it leads you down the road to things. So that moment, meeting Craig, meeting all you guys, gets me kind of obsessed with the Foster Martin band and the record and everything, which then when I'm in Thirsty Cactus, I'm sure at some point they mentioned you. We're all kind of like floating around the same scene to some degree. You do sound for us at, at mm-hmm. the PAL, which kind of blows my little mind a little bit at that stage. And then... And then all the way down. So you're you were on it. So you're part of the next. How many records did we put out? Four more? Three? Well, there was four more after Ragtop. So Moonshine was the first yeah, one. Yeah. So there's three. Moonshine, yeah, there's three more after Moonshine. Roller coaster. 
What a party. What a party, yeah. Yeah. And then we did the cover CD. Because right. Because everybody wanted the song, the cover tunes that we did live. Yeah, because they're phenomenal. Court case. Yeah. That's cool. Okay, that makes sense. All those records do well, partially on the back of all the other stuff, but, I mean, they're all great records in their own mind, right? We have, so you guys have done, now was it, we go to Europe, we play, and then we become huge in Europe, or was it popped in Europe, and then we go to Europe? What happened was we went to Europe. We got out there for the first show that we did was uh, in Crapaud, France, and, and it's a huge festival. It's it's the equivalent, like, not huge. Mm. Uh, it's the size of Dauphin. Nice. Okay, but it's in France and it's country music. So it, when you think it seems that really out of <laughs> that's huge. Fifteen thousand country music fans in France is a big deal. It's <laughs> a big, big deal. And uh, so we got to do that show, and we headlined on the Saturday night. Oh wow! And the act in front of us was Brady Brady Seals from Little Texas. Really? Yes. He opened for us. <laughs> Which Holy we kind of chuckle about. No kidding. Ourselves. No kidding. The, sun, the next night, or the next afternoon, on the Sunday afternoon, Al Ketchum's on the stage. Earlier on the Saturday, J.D. Crow really? is on the stage. Like there was some names that we idolized there, and we're headlining on a Saturday. Well, what, that's what I mean. What like, gives? how does that give? <laughs> is is forever already? No. That's no. what I'm asking. Yeah, and that's, uh, we don't what? even really know. Uh, somehow we just managed to get this excellent spot wow. on that first trip out. And we sat there. We played till about midnight or so. We were the last act up. Mm-hmm. And we sat there for two hours selling and signing CDs. No For kidding. the people that were there. And uh, it was actually... That was in that was before Moonshine came out, right? So we didn't even have Moonshine for sale there, which was a phenomenal record. Yeah, yeah. and then Moonshine came out, and Forever, all the radio right. stations spun it. And That's amazing that to me. It 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 does, it has the the scent of bigger, not at home. You know what I mean? Like at home, you're a bar band, whatever. Maybe people don't appreciate it, appreciate you as much because it's easy access. But then you go somewhere where no one's heard of you and they see this amazing country band and you're like, this is phenomenal. And boom, next thing you know, you're the hot ticket, right? Like one you're of signing the autographs. One of the nice things about the Europe shows mm-hmm. is they don't... Like, like, around here, an American band will always take precedence over a Canadian band. Makes sense. In anywhere I mean, in, anywhere in North America. Yeah. So any band that comes up from the States, a Canadian might open for them. Yes. That's going to be the way it's done. Europe, they don't recognize any of that. Right, because no one's local, no one's foreign. Everyone's foreign. Everyone's foreign to them. They don't care where you're from. They just sort of, I like this tune, let's put them in this spot, let's put this band in this spot. So so when you get over there, you're on all of a sudden Foster Martin's on a level playing field with Hell Ketchum. I don't know how that works, but it worked. But it worked. (laughs) So... I mean, not that it's really hard to like be like, oh, the quality of music is the same as blah, 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 because no. it is. I mean, we're talking about, but as far as like record sales, current success, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, what? Exactly. It, it, yeah. it doesn't make sense no. to, to, to anybody on this side of the water. Yeah, exactly. 
It's interesting. I, that is a fascinating thing. And so that's your first trip over. You do that festival, probably a couple more gigs, I would assume. No, that festival will only hire a group one time. That's their... That was your last time there. That was their one and only time into that one. But, like, so you're, you're all the way over there. You're not just there to play one show. Sometimes we were. That one we were. Okay, in that, in that instance. Because you guys did go we back were. a bunch. Yeah, we went back uh, 14 more trips to Europe. Seriously? Yeah, 15, <laughs> 15 in total. Holy crap. We just kept calling. And sometimes the shows, like, sometimes you do some bigger shows, and sometimes you just do a, a dance company wanted you. And yeah, so but that's what I that's what I said. Like whatever you get over there, that's all that matters. Yeah. After that, it's gravy. You're in Europe. You're on vacation. Like, yeah. oh my goodness, yeah. that's amazing. I didn't realize you'd been yeah. over there that many times with the band. Yeah. Well, thank God because if we ever have to get on a plane or something, at least we know who to ask <laughs> how to pack. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's really cool. Okay, well, okay. So Foster Martin Band is obviously big in Europe. You're back here in Canada. Things go well. You put out multiple records with the band after that. The band cools a bit, obviously. Yeah. Uh, Ray takes a bit of a hiatus at some point in there. Yeah. You know, which is, I mean, understandable after all that time and doing that thing. And um, him and Lyle, though, I mean, I can't wait to have those guys on here, probably individually, but I can't wait to hear all the stories about writing some of those songs because, boy, those guys write good songs together. Yeah. They're a machine, the two of them. Like, that's a partnership that should go down in history. Yeah. You know, for their influence. But. Okay, that's pretty cool. Now, something a lot of people don't know that, I mean, we only have so much time. You do have to be on stage at the Spike in an hour. Okay. Is it at four? You're not going on at four? Yeah, four. Okay. Okay. So we got about mm, a, little bit. a little bit of time. Thank God I live five minutes from the Spike. <laughs> um, Silver Spike Saloon, Country Jam on Saturday afternoons. Not really a jam, but. I, st- I still have to get there. Oh, yeah, just pop. <laughs> Good thing you're playing pedal steel and not lead guitar. <laughs> <laughs> Look at him go. You just slide enough to find the note. <laughs> Are you going to find our oldest? Is he going to Brent's or what's the deal? Oh, podcast info about Jacob. <laughs> cool. Um, that's it. Okay, so that's fascinating. I'm uh, now we're d- we delve into the next kind of stage. Obviously, you're, you've been a sound engineer player um you've even played a little bit of keys but let's talk about doc walker oh because that's something i bet very few people know about you no sean was not in doc walker no i was not in doc walker you were doc walker's babysitter <laughs> no i'm kidding i don't know those guys at all they're awesome no, i'm sh- they're, they're i'm awesome. a giant doc walker fan yes. so this is why this gets so interesting for me because i am i am like that's like you got to think. Doc Walker's what, two thousand three? They they came out around two thousand two, two thousand three with the first album. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I'm I'm graduating high school at that point. Yeah. Which if you're a country music kid in two thousand two in a high school, you don't tell anybody you're a country music yes. kid. You <laughs> shut up. Like it's I mean it was kind of starting. Thank God the girls all like Dixie Chicks and stuff. So it yeah. was like okay you could get away with liking country music to some degree, but like it was a bit of a closeted thing. You know what I mean? Doc Walker, you were the road manager for Doc Walker for a while, right? Is that the best? For three years. The best way to put yeah. your, your title? That, that was the title, the official title. And kind of at their height. Um, I don't know if it was their height, but it was the, the growth to their pinnacle. I wasn't there when they won the Junos. Okay. Um, 
Okay. That would have been about a year or two later. So, but the band that you're touring with has the boys, obviously. Um, is Paul E. with the band Paul at that point? Paul E. was with the band at Suds, that time. Suds is on Suds drums. Suds on drums. Chris Sutherland. Okay. Murray Pulver on guitar. And Murray Pulver on guitar. That's what I was wondering, yeah. how the band looked. Yeah. And Chris, and, Chris and, Dave. and Dave. Of course. That's tremendous. And you're all on a, a legit, and this is always the thing, because like people yeah. are like, yeah, see, this road manager, shut up, Sean. And I'm like, that's why we have a tour bus, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, Doc Walker had their own bus which was yeah, pseudo real tour bus. Yeah, uh, it was than it my was, RV it was, was. comfortable. <laughs> it was comfortable, but it was uh, it was an old I think it was an old MCI that was uh, Chris Chris is a handyman and he, yeah, he'd no get kidding. out there and he would break out the saws and make benches and beds and bunks cool. and so oh, on. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so it, it was comfortable. Nice. Um but when you got on the bigger tours, they would leave that one at home, and they would they would actually get the the real tour right because you get on you're opening for yeah. someone and yeah, and that's when you got on the Prevost, and when you got on one of those, you you had twelve bunks and <laughs> and everything and you could want the living area yeah, so it was a lot of fun. That's it, really it was cool. Really a lot of fun. It was so different mm-hmm. for me. Management, um, obviously, right? Yeah, like road manager, you're just taking care of the business. Mm-hmm, yeah. You know, make sure the band doesn't have to worry about going to collect a check. Make sure the stage is set up if you're going sure. to a festival okay. where they don't have to. Right, they just get you to know, go do their they thing. They just grab their guitar, walk out. Tell them where to be, when to be, that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, exactly. Guys, nice. Guys, bus leaves at 8 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, we'll see yeah. you there. Yeah. yeah. Cool. And, you, I mean, great dudes to travel with. I mean, oh, Murray Pulver's. Those guys were I- incredible. Yeah, if you had to road manage somebody, yeah. what, a, what a treat, right? It, yeah, they, they, they were, I already knew them Yeah. Okay. Um, over the years. I, I right. didn't know Chris at the time, Suds, but he and I became really good friends of course. on those trips. He's pretty rad, dude. We're the same era. Right, we yeah, good point. Same, same stuff. Good point, right, because he played with Kim Mitchell and stuff. Yeah, like, you're, you're like part of that kind of 70s, 80s oh, we, rock we thing. Talked for, we'd talk forever on the bus, uh, in hotel room. I remember doing a show in, in uh, Ontario, uh, Ottawa, mm-hmm. um, the last show of a tour with Dirks Bentley, and uh, the plane was, fr- we had to be at the airport at 6 a.m. Mm-hmm. We get back to the room at about 1. As you do. Yeah, from, from the arena. And you think we were smart enough to go to sleep? No. No. No, because no, we still are Chris <laughs> and I just sat there, talked music, and, and at the time, iPods were still in their old versions <laughs> yeah. and he's calling up tunes and nice. cuts of, of old tunes and we're listening to music and I think we each got an hour's sleep and off we're art uh, fools worth every but second but that's what it is that's, that's awesome what it is I know I mean in my, my much younger years the few times we ended up in hotels or whatever like you'd be up all night for yeah. whatever reason there was always a party but even now like people always ask how do you guys do it you know oh yeah we were up till 4am or whatever and then you know to be on the road at eight and blah blah blah. I'm like, what the hell? Like, what are you guys doing? You're pretty old to be partying. We're not partying. Yeah. So like the band goes back, we have a couple beers, and we visit. And like legit visit. It's you just hang. You get to know each other better. You hear stories about each other's lives. You find out things that are cool. It's really interesting, actually. That's that's one of the cool things about being in a band that I don't know if everybody knows about is that there's there's a lot of time where you just spend time together. Yeah. You just hang. Like, because yeah. there's so much downtime. I mean, 
in, in the old days, like that, I'm going back mm-hmm. in the 80s, mm-hmm. that was the Sunday drive. Right, exactly. Because you got to get to the next drive. town. Now, sometimes after spending being on the road for 40 weeks with somebody, you wanted to kill them and throw them out the vehicle. There's probably not a lot left to talk about. <laughs> but, but the reality is, uh, you know, when I oh, with Doc Walker, man, when we got on a bus mm-hmm. and we had 12 hours of travel in front of us, Hang. You just hang. You put a movie on. When when Chris Sutherland says, "Oh, let's watch this," and he brings out the movie The Prairie Home Companion, <laughs> and it's like I was I was not expecting <laughs> that. Everybody it's writes it down. What great, the hell is Prairie Home great, Companion? <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, I I loved. I've always loved The Prairie Home Companion. It, it Chet Atkins turned oh, me cool. on to that whole. St. Paul, Minnesota cool. theater show that happened. Oh, neat. And uh, the, when they made a movie about it, I think it was Robert Altman that made the movie okay, about cool. the Prairie Home Command. I wasn't expecting Chris Sutherland to say, yeah. let's watch this movie. No kidding. And it, it, yeah. So what's the, what's the, I mean, yes, you're road managing, but like, what's the coolest gig that band and you did in your time? What's the one that still makes you go like, holy crap, that was pretty awesome? Almost anything with the Dirks Band Air Tour. Oh, yeah, because that was Dirks and, like, that was the Dirks first Dirks. Like and, and there was three acts on that show. Oh, really? Okay, Dirks Bentley was the headliner. Because it was in Canada, Doc Walker was the opening act for Okay, makes sense. Dirks. The opening act of Doc Walker was some unknown guy that was just starting out named Eric Church. Oh, what a bum. So... That's, That's fascinating. Three acts traveling across Canada. So is that Eric Church Carolina album? Or just before that, probably? Because he was a songwriter, right? So yeah. he did a lot of songwriting for Dirk Bentley and all those guys. So. Also on most of that tour was a writing with Eric on the whole tour was Derek Dupin. Oh, cool. So right, it was right. just a fascinating trip. No kidding. From coast to coast. Well, no, coast to southern Ontario. Yeah, wow. Stalls there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's not a lot. I mean, there is more obviously as you go through southern Ontario to yeah. southeast, but like, there's really only basically two spots on that that run through yeah. Quebec. So most people just they do Montreal or whatever, and then they move on off. But yeah. that's that fascinating. Was a great tour. Uh, one of the things that stands out for me mm-hmm. that that I will forever remember uh, was uh, Northlands Coliseum up in Edmonton. Mm. And we were setting wow. up, just setting up the show, and Chris is working on his drum kit backstage, and, mm-hmm. and he says, "Sean, he says, come here, come here." And I walk over, and he, he just sort of walks me back to a certain part of the arena. Mm-hmm. He says, "Stand here, and look." So I'm standing there looking up at the at the at the biggest at the arena, the arena <laughs> yeah. Northlands Coliseum. And he says, you are standing where Wayne Gretzky got most of his points from. Right. Imagine this is his view. It's the office, man. As he was getting his points from behind the net. The office. The office. Wow. And when he pointed that out to me, he says, you got to just take those moments to find these little things. And that stood with me. That really stood with me. And and that will forever be with me, is, is that lesson. That's huge. Yeah. That that is the kind of thing you can hang. Every I, I, we all get. I, I said this 
several times in several instances, but it's easy to get a little bit negative after a while when you're slugging away, looking at Spotify numbers, trying to figure out how to get a little bit of attention from radio stations and all these things. But there are moments where we stand on stages sometimes and you got to be like, huh, this is pretty cool. Most people don't get to do this. Mm-hmm. Like most people don't. Yeah, moments like standing where Rick Wayne Gretzky stood, you know, um, being in Dauphin. How many people get to say they stood on a stage in Dauphin yeah. at Dauphin Country Fest? Yes, it's, yes, there are many, but only in our industry. Like there aren't a lot really yeah. in the grand scheme of things. I mean, our bands and your bands that you've been in are on all those t-shirts, right? Like, people can't, you can't take it away once it's there. Yeah. You know, and it's important, not only for myself, but other artists as we go here, to remember things like what Suck said. You should find those little things, those little appreciative moments of these things. I mean, I'm probably never going to open for Dirk Stanley and stand on the Coliseum Ice, but there are moments like that almost everywhere you go. Almost everywhere, right? Yeah. Whether it's, oh man, so-and-so played this stage once. That's kind of cool. You know, that's pretty impressive. It's not just impressive, it's just it's, there's some history. And if you appreciate all those little moments, I think it makes the, the grind a little easier. Not that there's a lot of grind, but you know what I mean. It's yeah, you, you've got to... I think so, so many people chase the dream. And, and want to define success with, with crowd size or they want to define success with album sales or in this day it's streams. Mm-hmm. H- how about just make the music that you want to make, let the people hear the music you want to make, and when they like it, that's, that's a bigger reward than anything else. Yeah. And when they enjoy it and get out there and enjoy it. So Foster Martin goes to Europe and, and, and the bank account ends up at zero at the end of the day and maybe we even have to do a local gig or two to supplement it but we get to take our wives and enjoy a holiday yeah for a couple of weeks yeah, in europe who gets yeah. to do that right yeah. while making your music yeah that's it, amazing it, it is the how do you spell success well you know in a weird way i i think I, i'm happy with the success i've had oh no kidding yeah it's totally and, and but uh, at the same time, I'm heading down to play an afternoon show at the Spike, and, and I'm going to love every second of that, just like I do a stage anywhere else. I think that was so... I mean, I wanted to have Miles on here because he's the president of the MCMA to start, and I, I, I love his story and, and getting to know him a little better. I don't think enough people really know how he ended up where he ended up mm-hmm. uh, and where his love and his commitment to Manitoba country music comes from because he's yeah. an underappreciated cog in the wheel. Absolutely. Uh, and, but I always knew that if it was not one, I'd want you on here second. <laughs> because I've never, in all this time in country music, met anybody who loves making music as much as you. We all love making music. Don't get me wrong. But there was a stretch. Now, I know you've cut back a bit since. Man, you got grandkids and stuff. I get it. <laughs> but, yeah. Like, yeah. but like, there was a stretch where you were playing with us full time. Foster Martin Band was playing regularly. Not regularly, but you know, every few months. Yeah. Uh, you were playing with half a buck. Yep. You were doing the jam on Saturday afternoon at the Spike. When they'd call me, I wasn't a member. You weren't a member yet, but it was kind of. When they called. They were calling more regularly yep. than not. You know, and I'm. There might have even been another project in there. Oh, you're playing for Quentin. I was playing at with the time. Quentin. Yeah, and prop. I mean, Lord knows, with you, 
probably somebody else. Lots, lots of others. Yeah. So it, it and that's a lot. I don't think people appreciate it. like that's a lot of playing. Like especially like the Sean Taylor band plays basically any time at that stage of the of the game we were playing any time I wanted to play. If I was like, yeah, okay, we could play that weekend, Jeff would book it. Yeah. And if we had to get subs, we got subs, we'd play. So um, we were playing, you know, if there's 52 weekends in a year, we were playing probably 40 of them, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And you were doing all those gigs and all this, all these other gigs. And have a, like, all, I'd, I would come off stage with you on a Friday, Saturday. Saturday afternoon, I'd go and see you at the Spike. And then Sunday afternoon, you and half a buck would be at the George. Yeah. Like, you were a, you're a monster. <laughs> now, I know in your early years, you're playing six nights a week or, and all that. So that makes sense. But I've never met anyone who just legitimately loves making music. You're also obviously, I always ask this, but like, what's your favorite part? Is it the studio time? Is it guitar playing on stage? Is it, like, because... You seem, when we're in the studio together and you're sitting at your desk doing your thing, you yeah. seem to just be in heaven. But then yeah. you're also never afraid to hop on at the spike and play yeah. some steel too. So, like, what's your favorite thing? I feel like everybody has to have some favorite. but I don't know because it's, it, it, there's a bit of both. I love the studio. I love the creativity that goes in the studio. Mm -hmm. um, I really like what's going on recording with Sean Taylor because yeah, it is a democracy of six guys. It's wild, right? It's <laughs> I, I, other, other instances in a studio, you sit down at a, at a board and you do what one person tells you mm -hmm. to do mm -hmm. and it's over. But I love the fact that it's everybody. So there's something really unique there that's going on that yep. I love. Um, but how I can never take away the plane. Yeah. Because, uh, and a Saturday afternoon at, at the Spike, you know, whether there's three people enjoying the music or 300 people enjoying the music, when something really good happens on the stage, it doesn't matter how mm -hmm. many are out there enjoying it mm -hmm. because when there's that magical moment on the stage, it can't be replaced. Yeah. And uh, one, one particular thing comes to mind. You mentioned Half a Buck a couple times. Mm -hmm. Such a wonderful band. Yeah. And, and uh, sadly sidelined by, by COVID mm -hmm. uh, indefinitely. And the moment that uh, the singer can come back again, Jeff can come back, God. I'm sure we'll do another show at the George. Yeah, I love I'm Jeff. sure of it. Um, Jeff's voice is one of the most unique and underappreciated oh, voices in our It's a pure country voice. Yeah, it's it's straight pure. Legit. It, 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 there's not a lot of vibrato, nothing. Just nope. this big voice. Here's country music. There you go. Yeah, here it is. <laughs> So, I mean, I remember one time starting up, setting up at the George, getting my pedal steel ready, and, mm -hmm. and sitting down, and he came up and said, let's do uh, Sunday Morning's Coming Down. Oh. Opening song in a... I, 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 I mean this with all due respect, Greg. It's in a dingy honky-tonk. <laughs> that's why we love that place. That's why we love it. And, and he's going to do this song that that's what it's all about. Yeah. And he starts singing, and the steel starts to cry. I start to cry, and, no, I, reach, and I reach for my beer. Yeah, because <laughs> like, that's, that's what it's about. It, it's pure heaven to me. Yeah. No, it's, I have, uh, first off, your love of those moments in those places has been infectious to all of us in yeah. the Sean Taylor band. 
James, myself, Blaine, like we've all just kind of, because we are the younger guys in the band, right? Yeah. I mean, and I don't say younger lightly because Blaine and I are both in our late 30s, but. Yeah, Jimmy's a kid. Jimmy's a kid, and we're going <laughs> to cling to the, us being the youngest 50% of the band. <laughs> like, we're going to just stick to it. Um, but it has been infectious. I remember the first time you guys were like, we're at the spike, I think, and we're in between sets, and you're like, well, let's go over to the George. I'm like, oh, you know what's funny? I've never been in the George at that point in my life. I hope that's, I hope we can hear that because the fact, I forgot your ringtone is the X-Files theme. Absolutely. That's phenomenal. Hilarious. Um, <laughs> what I was, what sorry, what I was saying yeah. was, um, when you get to the George, immediately I was like, oh, I love this place. Yeah. This feels really good. So does the Spike. Like the Spike on an afternoon thing. Like I just love those bars. Drive They're so legit. Drive into Transcona, you feel it. Yeah. The second you drive into Transcona. It feels different. Yeah. I'm always trying to recruit people to move here. I'm <laughs> like, dude, you got to move to Transcona. This place is just a little town oh, attached to Winnipeg. Yeah. And people laugh about it. I'm like, no, it's I'm serious. And, like, the Legion's awesome. The George is awesome. The Pandy's awesome. The Spike is awesome. They're all great rooms. Yeah. Um, and they're lots of fun to go hang out in. And when I – I can't remember when you told me, oh, yeah, we're playing Sunday with uh, Half a Buck. And I rolled in there, and there's this – you guys are playing, I don't know if it was a Dwight Yoakam tune or something. It's 4 o'clock on a Sunday. of, And I promise you I was hungover. Because we'd played Saturday <laughs> night probably at the Spike. I promise you I was hungover. But for a kid who grew up listening to country music, old stuff, new stuff, and everything, walking into that bar on a Sunday with a hangover, grab a pint, go hang off that bar right beside the stage that I love, and watching you guys crush was amazing. And that was the first. <laughs> doo -doo 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 <laughs> that was the first time I saw Blaine. Ah, uh, yeah. That was when I was like, okay, I want one. Is that when he <laughs> fell into his microphone because he was so drunk at the end of the night? Probably because once Blaine and I met each other, <laughs> Blaine, I've said this to Hans before. Blaine reminded me a lot of my friendship with Joey and Dancer. Uh, it was like we were friends forever. The minute we met, yeah. we were like, oh, we've known each other our whole lives. And we have a talent for getting each other into trouble. <laughs> and now Blaine, ha I mean, not trouble, but like we just yeah, get yeah. a little out of hand. But like Blaine is now like kind of adopted Jimmy too. So yeah. it's like, so now I'm kind of like business up front and those guys are party in the rear. <laughs> like they're ready to go, So which is fun to watch. But like it, it was a cool experience. And Half a Buck, I think, is one of those like seriously underrated country bands that we have in this, in this town. People don't. Jason Chablick and the Pickets. Like, man, that is a killer band. A killer country band. Hearts on Fire reunites. Yeah. And they just picked up, Ken Campbell's playing with them now. Oh, excellent. Yeah, they just announced he's the sixth member of oh, Hearts on Fire. Perfect. Like, what? Yep. Thank God, because we need more Ken Campbell steel. Yeah. Right? This town needs more of that. Yeah. It's those, those things are going to just keep this little, it feels like a renaissance in country music locally. And I think we're a, a part of it, big, small, whatever. It feels great to be part of it. Um, when you, I mean, we kind of skipped past it, but obviously you are the lead guitar player of the Sean Taylor band. Um, when we, uh, I remember very distinctly Jeff telling me he was going to ask you to fill in because we'd had a lot of fill-in players. Yeah. We, I don't know who was the guitar player at that point. Steve. Yeah, but I'm not even sure he was a guitar player. Oh. I know he was. Yeah. But, like, we'd had Joey. Like, Joey Landreth was a guitar player. He subbed out to, I want to say Chris Ulrich. 
Oh, who see, subbed yeah. to Brendan Wall, who subbed to Brenton Thorvalson, who subbed to Stephen Arundel. And Stephen was kind of stuck for a while. Yeah. Stephen and I are about the same age, or kids the same age, so we all kind of, it kind of stuck for a while, but he was also touring with... Um, Chad? Yeah. Yeah, I want to say it was Chad. It's Chad, right? I can't remember. Chad Brownlee, yeah, that was yeah. it. Um, so he was touring with him, so it was kind of in and out, in and out. Not a lot, because Chad wasn't as, you know, yeah. he was big, really big, but because he was so big, tours weren't as, like, one-off. Uh, whereas then the other guys were playing for, like, Jess Moskaluk and stuff, so they were a little more like, oh, I got to go to Saskatoon this weekend, I can't do the gig, you know. Um, so Stephen couldn't do a gig, and I remember Jeff being like, you know, I'm going to call Sean Borton and see if he's interested. And I was like, really? You think you'd play with him? Because I just thought of us as like like uh, whatever. My words were I was like we're just a we're just a bar band, and you know that was what we were at the time. We put a little it was country, but we you know we were a bar band. And he's like, yeah, well I'll call him and see. And he's like, yeah, Sean would love to come out. <laughs> no kidding, <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. So now I'm like, oh, after having met you back in the day and everything, I was like, oh god, Sean Borton's not going to go out. Like, like, what the hell is with these goofballs? And then he stopped. I was like, well, this is amazing. Sean Borden's in the band. This is great. Yeah. Next thing you know, Greg Dunstan's in the band. I didn't know Greg at all. Yeah. Because I'm not going to say, I don't want this to sound derogatory, but I just didn't know any bass players. You cou I couldn't yeah. have named you the bass players in any of the bands. Yeah. I was an obsessive Chris Bigford fan back in the day. Yeah. But I didn't know Greg oh, was in the, the band. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, I'm a front man. Yeah. But the girls all knew who Greg was. God, do they ever. They really did. <laughs> He's famous. <laughs> um, but he, uh, Greg comes out and fills in for somebody. I don't even know. Well, Meg probably was a bass player at one point. Yeah, I don't know if she was at that point, yeah, but you know what I mean. Hard to say. Greg fills in. Next thing I know, it's you, Greg. I think Brenton Thorvalson was on fiddle or Michael Odette. A bit of both. A bit of both. Again, this both. is another yeah. case where we're getting a few times of each, right? Yeah. And then that's, and then I met playing through half a buck and I was like I, I remember I emailed Jeff at the George mm -hmm. I bet if I pull up that email it's barely coherent <laughs> I bet it's barely coherent I bet it's like we need this fiddle guy ask Sean <laughs> like, yeah. but it, it all kind of comes together brilliantly into this little wild little thing that we have and when you say that it is a six man democracy you're not kidding yeah. your patience is very valuable <laughs> to that project because like, I don't know, people don't know how the process works, but we all go to my warehouse in Selkirk. We record, actually, before that, a demo is sent, whether it's a song I wrote or a song we're going to work on or whatever. We all come to my basement and jam it out quasi-acoustically. Luckily, we all kind of know what the Sean Taylor band sounds like, so that's what comes. Uh, and then we go to my warehouse and we record basically the drums. Everything else is recorded live for us to dub over, but the drums are recorded in the warehouse mm -hmm. for the most part. It, get, it gets a good live band feel yes. onto the recording, so anybody that's overdubbing gets a part with their part removed. The song with their part removed, yeah. so they're still playing over the, live, the live band. band. Because there's nothing, the number one priority I want to put into the project is that it sounds like we do live. Because yeah. I love this band live. So, And I think we're harnessing that pretty well. So then we do that in the studio, and then I know Greg and Jimmy both cut their parts at home um, because luckily basically, so they get a, a recording without their part, they cut their part, send it to you, and then I go in, we do vocals with Greg and Blaine and you and me, and we all do the vocals. Um, another thing I'm very proud of is the harmony singing on, on the records. 
um, and we all sing on the record, which is great. Uh, and then Blaine does his fiddles in your basement, and you do your guitars, and then I do my guitar, and blah blah blah, and we do all that stuff. And then, and then you have to tolerate me and Jeff and Jimmy coming into your basement and mixing it down, which is gotta be something when because the way it works is the three of us sit at the back of the room and sean sits at his desk and we mix the song down so it's basically just the three of us i don't want to say yelling because we're not yelling but telling sean what we think to the back of his head (laughs) while he tries to fix whatever we're complaining about (laughs) which honestly (laughs) i don't think anybody else would do (laughs) like really i think everybody else would tell us to go to hell (laughs) But it, it well, seems to work, and we're getting better at it, too. Yeah. Which I'm very, very excited about. Because, like, we just did this this week. Wednesday, we were at your place. New song is getting mixed down. It was smooth. There were a few little things that we worked on together as a group. We've all... It's been a great exercise in learning for compromise and teamwork and all these things. Stuff that bands are not notorious for. No. But... No. I think one of the reasons I knew this project was gonna be was gonna work is because I know we all love the same kind of music, and we all love the same things about the same kind of music. We, though we all hear different things. Something people don't always know, and I didn't know until I started talking to you guys. We started this project, and I realized that none of you guys listen to anything I sing anyway. <laughs> no, that's, not, that, that's a that's a flippant way of saying it. But like, I remember we were talking about something, and somebody said, "You sing what?" I'm like, "How do you not know what I sing?" And they're like, what? No, I'm just listening to the guitar part. <laughs> or I'm just listening to my, you know, like they, like Jimmy for the most part listens to the music part, like the, the lead instrumental part. Um, Jeff listens to drums and that's pretty much it. As that's long what Jeff as long as Jeff can hear everything else, like his harmonies and stuff are there, he doesn't give really uh, two craps about what is said or done. <laughs> like yeah. As long as the drums are good, he's happy. It's like, I didn't realize that because I only live in my own world where I'm like, well, how do you guys not know the story of this song? Because I'm a songwriter, so I'm like, I'm all about the story. And like, if you took everybody else's parts out and I was just like maybe a piano or a guitar or whatever, and the lyrics, I'd be like, oh, okay, that tracks, that's cool. Because that's what I'm listening for. And I found it very interesting that you guys kind of lean into your own parts and each other's parts. Because obviously, I find as instrumentalists especially, you guys listen to each other a lot. It's got to be it's, huge. It's magical in this band because everybody's listening to everybody. Yeah, except so me, but that's fine. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But yeah, I mean, when somebody plays something, the other person answers it. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's yeah. just little things. And, and sometimes it's, it's contrived. It's worked out in the studio. Sometimes it just happens on stage. It's pretty rare that it's contrived, right? Like yeah. It's pretty like rare. It's, it's pretty funny how fast things pop up with you guys. But lyrics, yeah, sadly, I, 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 I'll admit it right here that I only hear phonics. You know what's funny? I think I know when it came up, we were working on harmony yeah, or something. Yeah. And you guys had done it in the studio. Or no, we'd played the song live. Yeah. We'd played it live, whatever, played it in the basement, jammed it out. None of you guys knew the words no. when we went to go record it. Like, how do you guys know the words? I gave you a demo. We like, why would we listen the to vowels. this? Yeah, we know the progressions <laughs> of the chords and the vowels. <laughs> All the vowels rhyme. We just make the same sound. I owe you. It's pretty easy to rhyme it. Yeah. It's so funny, man. That's so funny. That's exciting. It's the sound of the word. Yeah. Yeah. So as we as we wrap up, because you do sure. have to go, you got to go to do your gig, and I sneak out of here and catch part of it if yeah. I can. If I can. Let's see if they kick you out. Uh, you never know. <laughs> 
I hope not. If not, I'll go see Curtis. He's yeah. playing an afternoon show at the, oh, at the George now. Well, I know where I'm going on my break. <laughs> right? Yeah. How great is that? So yes, um, we, when we uh, we break it down, you're still playing with Foster Martin Band. Yes. When you guys play, which is a few times I, a year pretty much, I, right? I, I will be a member of that band until they say they do not want to play anymore. Yeah, which is awesome. Yeah. I mean, you guys are an institution. And it's pretty cool you get to be part of that institution. It, it is. And when you can say you've been in a band for more than 25 years. Yeah. And, and it, it's, it's a brotherhood very much like, like Sean Taylor Band is. Yeah. We, we get together, we make some music, but at the same time, it's all about the conversations around the bar afterwards. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be a bar. It could be a coffee shop, but it's yep. always a bar. It is. Yeah, it's just the <laughs> yeah, way it is. We um, it. we do. I mean, I've been lucky enough to become friends with Lyle and Ray and <laughs> Ray and all you guys now. Yeah. Um, and I, I, it has been a conscious effort to kind of model what we do after what that band does because you cannot argue with thirty some odd years of success. Um, and I think part of that is because they did it the way they did it. Yeah. You know, not touring and you know playing gigs they wanted to play and making the music they wanted to make, which was huge. Just doing it on their terms. Yes, and, and especially in this day and age, I think that's more important than ever. Yeah. It's easy to get caught up in the bullshit. Yeah, and a lot of it. Especially if you want to keep a family together. And mm-hmm. <laughs> it's nice staying married. I like yeah. that half of my stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Man, um, and obviously you're playing with us, which is where yeah. we're so goddamn lucky. And the spike obviously still keeps you coming around on Saturdays. Do you doing anything else? Any other projects? Nope. You got too much on your plate. No, I I will do the odd fill in. Of course. Uh, If somebody calls and I'm available, that's that's getting a little sooner. Yeah, I hear you. Why not? Just so busy busy with with the projects. Yeah. Yeah. When you got your thing, you got your thing, right? It's nice to have some uh, something you care about and you're passionate about. Well. I mean, do you have any last ideas? I know by the time Miles got all the way back to his house, he texted me, oh, I forgot this. <laughs> last ideas? No, I, I think the only thing I can stress, if anybody's listening to this at the end of all this, is uh, is stick to your own game plan. Don't, I, I mean, management and and agents and management and, all the extras that go along with it are important, but they have to work with you, not the other way around. Mm-hmm. And and I think it's really important to just stay true to yourself. Words of wisdom. Play what you want to play. Enjoy it. If, if you're doing something right, the people keep calling for you for work. And here I am 45 years later after I first started, and I'm still working. You're doing something right, right? Yeah. That's awesome. All right. Well, thank you very much for taking an afternoon to come drink bourbon with me and then go to the game. And we'll do it all again tomorrow.